for 25 years. Nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all hand-picked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. Does anybody else feel like they could draw Jonestown from memory in their head now? <laughs> like, I, like I could do a Google Street 3D map of Jonestown. Like a really sad Noah's Ark pamphlet. <laughs> yeah. It's a water park in Wisconsin. I feel like I'm shuffling around Jonestown right now. Yeah. Is that bad? Is that depression? Uh, it would be a horrible place to be a Google mapper. Whoever the hell would have that gig? Just the dude with the Google segue just waving. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the last podcast on the left, everyone. I am Ben Kissel, as always, staring at the face of Marcus Parks. Hey, Ben. And Henry Zabrowski. I have been sick for 15 days. I got re-sick. <laughs> I was sick, and I still hadn't finished being sick, and now I'm re-sick. I pinched a nerve oh. in my shoulder drying my hair. It's a middle-aged podcast. <laughs> Sometimes my ankles swell, and I can't get my uh, my special doctor socks above my ankle. Oh, my God. Honestly, we're, we're getting there guys mm-hmm. we're getting to special socks <laughs> oh i already have a couple yeah all right we got to continue on here with the jonestown series we're on to part five warning uh, some of the audio that we're going to play later on in the episode it's disturbing as you can imagine so just be forewarned and of course we'll treat it with uh, a lot of respect um and things like that and not just continuing this is the end of jonestown it's not like a like a fun, like, dance number end. No. This is not like, uh, was it nine weddings and a funeral? Four weddings and a funeral. Four weddings and a funeral. It's not one of those. It's not like Hugh Grant is not going to come out and be like, whatever's going to be like, he's charming. It's very rough. So People's Temple grew for 27 years before Jim Jones arrived in Jonestown in August of 1977. In one year and three months, Jim Jones would tear down everything he'd worked for. This last chapter of our series is about that time and the end of it all. Honestly, it's uh, it's an incredible trip because Marcus and I were, were talking about the breadth of Jonestown over the phone. And part of it's like, really, you, you start thinking about it. It's like, wow, he spent such a long time. We said so in the seas being super cult leader, patient, mm-hmm. which is what he should have been. And he did great. He was doing great for a long time. And then it took a year for the mass suicide to happen. And this year, what we're going to cover here is is very brutal, and it got dark very, very fast. Absolutely. It is the opposite of the future so bright, I got to wear shades. Because in reality, the future is very dark for the people at Jonestown and for Jim Jones himself. But he still and Mr. Muggs. wore shades. But he still wore shades. <laughs> 
Now, an important thing to know about Jonestown is that the people there have become quite used to Jim Jones as a constant presence. Jonestown was rigged with a sound system complete with loudspeakers that were connected directly to a microphone in Jim Jones's private cabin. This is, I mean, a podcaster's dream. I uh, wouldn't so. love that constant time to be able to tell everybody, be like, I thought the last Thor movie was was fine, but also I thought The Last Jedi was pretty good. Also Phantom Thread was pretty good. Also, Get Out was good, but it shouldn't have been nominated as a comedy for the Golden Globes just for hours and hours and was hours. Was Get Out nominated as a comedy? Was it? Was it? Mm-hmm. It was? Yes. <laughs> that is news to me. Lil Rel was this is- very funny, but that was... <laughs> Welcome to the newest segment called News to Me uh, by Ben Kissel. Uh, that is, but it's a horror movie. Yes, of course, oh, it's I, a drama. They didn't know how to categorize uh, it because they're stupid. I have to go on a little side right here. Every time there's a good horror movie, they're like, no, it wasn't. It couldn't be because it couldn't be good if it was a horror film. That's why everyone's like, there's no good horror films. Evidently, Get Out's a freaking comedy. Yes, horror is drama. That's what people don't understand. Uh, horror is just drama. It's just got monsters in it. Um, but this, so remember though, before, the five my five months leading up, right, so they sent a bunch of people that are clear out the jungle. And they said, during that time period in Jonestown, they were very peaceful. They were connected to the Lord. They felt mm. very like with it. They were in they were in commune with nature. They they were out there. They said that the the, the old people there was really hard work, but they were they were feeling the rhythm of the jungle. Which is, I think it's kind of fun. They were all like, like just loving their life, just playing with like lemurs and shit. Like they're taking macadamia nuts out of their hands. Right. And then Jim Jones shows up. And it immediately becomes a Jim Jones show, and he is such mm. an exacting micromanager, to use a, a pedantic term for him. Right. He's crawled up their asses, and then it's 24 hours of his face and his voice from then on. It's like every single person who works in an office, the manager is gone on vacation for a week trying to quit smoking in the Bahamas. <laughs> Everything works totally smooth in the office. Everything is finished on time, and then as soon as he gets back, it's just more difficult when he's there. Yeah, that's exactly how people describe Jonestown. Now, sometimes on these loudspeakers, they'd play music. Like, they'd play, like, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Ooh. which is, like, super fun. Or they'd play, like, <laughs> Perry Como, which isn't as fun. It's relaxing. It's relaxing, I guess. But mostly, these people would have to put up with long diatribes from Jones himself. Mm. And this was throughout an 11-hour work day. Wow. And when Jones didn't feel like talking, or he was too busy, or he was too fucked up on drugs, which he was a lot, he pulled one of his old tapes out. And play that just to keep the constant blather going. Good lord, it's got to be like living with Sinbad. <laughs> the, only, uh, the only people I'll, I'll ever allow to complain about millennials' work ethic are the people of Jonestown. <laughs> because that's yes. crazy. No, it is very, it was a lot of work and it was backbreaking work. Mm. And then you have to listen to him all day Ugh. long, which is the cult thing, right? Which is the idea that right. he becomes your whole consciousness. Yeah. yeah. Well, the weird thing was, though, is that when they were starting to kind of get towards the end, every once in a while, they turn off the speakers and just let him talk. And, and he they, didn't they, notice? And he didn't notice. <laughs> like, the, like the fat kid from the movie Heavyweights? Was it Heavyweights where he was never connected to the, uh, he was just talking into the microphone the whole time? No, I think you're to, um, it, uh, Wet Hot American Summer. Yes. Oh, yeah. Wet Hot American <laughs> Summer. Yes. Oh, that movie's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. If he was like too fucked up, they'd just like turn it off and just be like, silence. Wow. Thank Christ. 
So at the end of the workday, the people, after listening to Jones speak for hours, they'd all go to the pavilion to hear Jones speak some more. Oh, my gosh. And these meetings were where Jones truly sowed the seeds of paranoia in his people. We listened on the last episode to a couple of these meetings, to some of the punishment yeah. meetings, but that wasn't all it was. It wasn't all punishment. This is an, ex- an example of Jones telling his people what direction America was heading because he had to keep them on their toes. It's like, you think shit's bad here. You ought to know what's going on back in America. All right. Now, these tapes, they're not always the best quality. And there is an echo on this one, but I still think this is important to hear. If you have any mistaken feelings to look back to America... If you have any idea that America has anything to offer, you need to, perhaps you need to hear the housing director that I, when I prophesied, I told him the end had come for minorities. I'm just thinking of it spontaneously, so I don't know that I'll find it offhand. I'd quote it just word for word. He sent me a letter. And saying, he said, I hate to say, Reverend Jones, that all you said about what was going to happen to minorities in America is taking place before our eyes. It does sound like an audio sample from a Butthole Surfers song. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. It also sounds like if Lou Gehrig really went a different direction uh, with his final speech there at Yankee Stadium. But he would sit on stage. So have you seen like the movie The Sacrament? They do a really good job of of setting up the the actual what the space looked like. It was like an elevated platform that sat in a bunch of loose chairs and tables and people would stand and stare at him. And behind him, he'd have this big sign that says, um, those that uh, forget the past are doomed to repeat it. It's something like that line. Those who don't remember the past are doomed to repeat it. Or condemned to repeat it. So, which is interesting. I don't, I don't. It was a misquote in the first place. Even if Uh, we are misquoting it, it was, he misquoted it as well. We're doing a double misquote. You can't misquote a misquote. I'm pretty sure you You cannot misquote a misquote. You can't. But he would go up in there and he'd just pick up the newspaper. Mm. And he'd start start doing bits like he's like Dave Chappelle. Like he's just doing his extra hours where he is interpreting the news for everyone every single day at the end of the day. And it sounds trippy as fuck. Yeah, it sort of sounds like if Lenny Bruce met Marlon Brando from, uh, what was that horrible movie that he was in where he was covered all, all white? The Island of Dr. Moreau. Oh. Marlon, Marlon Brando from The Island of Dr. Moreau meets Lenny Bruce and the entire time uh, the Wayne from the Flaming Lips is playing bass. Also, it, it's the, it marks the slow descent of when Jim Jones begins to sound like Droopy Dog. Oh. And you will see in the later, in the in when we play the, some of the more horrible tapes, maybe it'll bring a smile to your face to imagine it's droopy dog. We gotta get through it somehow. Now you might think that people would try to verify these claims with their friends and relatives back home. After all since black people were the majority in Jonestown their friends and family would probably have heard something about shit like this going on because Jim Mm. Jones was telling them they're getting rounded up and put in a concentration camps and the KKK is taking over towns in America. But all mail going out was censored. And all mail coming in was opened up in red. Anything that went against Jones's narrative, either coming in or going out, wasn't allowed. And that's if people even had the nerve to ask. 
Hmm. In fact, most letters were filled with outright lies meant to soothe worries in the United States. When family members whose loved ones had gone to Jonestown got together and compared notes, they found that many of their daughters had all claimed to be engaged to Dr. Larry Schacht, hmm. fulfilling the age-old my daughter is marrying a doctor dream. Ugh. Meanwhile, it's Dr. Larry Schacht, who looks like Riff Raff from, uh, <laughs> what's his butts, from uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. He's got those, like, long blonde hairs on either side of his head, and he's fucking bald up top, and he's walking around with that. Hey, lady, is that? So you guys are uh, dating old Dr. Schacht, right? <laughs> right? No, I mean, I know it's fake, but on paper, it's as good as if you're dating me. So you're my girlfriend, you're my girlfriend, you're my girlfriend, you're my boyfriend. <laughs> I will not physically touch you. I'm not allowed by dad, <laughs> but but on paper, ah, rock and roll. Kind of sounds like Donald Trump's doctor. <laughs> Remember that lunatic? Yeah. Uh, people in the U.S. they weren't buying that line of horseshit or any other, so they formed a coalition called Concerned Relatives. Oh my God! It sounds like a basketball team from Southern Florida. <laughs> The Boca Raton concerned relatives. But they did a very good job. These are the ones that essentially brought down Jonestown. Yeah. Their express purposes were to rescue their family members and hopefully take down Jim Jones in the process. These people were joined by Grace Stone, who'd begun to turn up the heat in the custody battle over her son, John Victor, mm. a.k.a. John John, who by this time was being referred to as the child god in Jonestown, which mm. gave the fight for his custody even more gravitas. All right. Then, Jones was faced with his highest profile defection yet, longtime lawyer Tim Stone, who had finally gotten tired of Jim Jones's shit after Jim accused him of being a CIA double agent. Ooh. That's what got him mad. Was that <laughs> after all of this bullshit, after all of this bullshit, he got mad because Jim Jones decided to paint him as a fake villain with Tim Stone's knowledge within the cult. But what we're finding out here is that, I mean, number one, Tim Stone was never really happy with the fact that Jim Jones fucked his wife and they had a kid. Yeah. He was never, he signed that affidavit. Didn't quite get over that saying, one, huh? <laughs> no. Not that, no. that, that he, little hurdle there? <laughs> it seemed to always come up, especially when you watch your fat, weird little boy being called the child god, and you're just standing they're just being like, you know, I made him. I wish I could. I wish I could have made him. You know what I mean? I wish I'd given a shot to make him. But he got so mad that he went back to Grey Stone. So he would go on these trips for Jim Jones, like doing various coordinating things. And he started taking more and more time to do his own bullshit. And so he went to Grace and said, "Listen, I know this is a problem. We got to go get John John out." And they joined forces. And Tim Stone, being the super fucking aggressive lawyer that he was, which made him such a useful tool for the People's Temple, is now made made him like the only real true enemy that Jim Jones can't handle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. So in response to Tim's defection, Jim Jones, I mean, he's going against this high-powered, extremely aggressive lawyer. This guy was an assistant DA in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. He's not fucking around. But the best Jim Jones could do was like, he subscribed to gay porn magazines in Stone's name and had him sent to his address. <laughs> Got is he Bart Simpson? What is going on? Yeah, he released an affidavit saying that Stone had made fun of the Guyanese prime minister. I mean, he did. He does have big feet. So I guess. He wrote a long thing being like, Okay, guys, how do we roast him? How do we roast the Guyanese prime minister? He's got big feet. Yeah, well, clearly you got clown feet, you asshole. Right in, right in 
Write it down. Write that down. That's a good roast. That's a good win. <laughs> Even, I mean, he's joking, but he did that in kind oh of a roundabout sort of way. Jim Jones got them all together, all of the people, and had them write essays about how they would kill Tim Stone. And then oh. he had them read it aloud during meetings. Well, that's kind of fun. <laughs> it is. Yeah, that's it's nice to the, get everybody together with an activity. Yeah, <laughs> not the worst of all the activities they had to do there, I suppose. But when King God Jones talked to his people about Tim Stone, he'd never say that Stone, and by extension, anyone else, could ever hurt Tim Jones. Mm. It was all about what Stone was doing to them, to oh. people's temple. Here's an example. I could kill him. I could really kill him. Literally kill him. He's a son of a bitch to do what he did to me, to this people, to do what he did. I don't give a goddamn to me because it's you that he can't hurt me. I wish it was just me and him. Goddamn his ass. I'd, I'd drive him crazy. But I've got to watch every move I take because it could hurt a Gene Brown or a Leona back there or a Guy Young or a whole host of other people, lots of people back there at Alice that need a chance, a Dennis that need a chance, on down the line of Louie Davis, on, 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 on. I'd get him tonight. Oh, I've got him. I've got the man that'll get him. All i got to do is say the word, go. I love those people too much. It's not worth it. His white ass ain't worth it. Let him live. Yeah, but the only, only one little catch to that. If he ever gets in a court of law, he can hurt you more. So Dad's always moving back and forth like the pendulum, wondering about it. It's not an easy decision. I am saying pendulum from now <laughs> yeah. on instead of pendulum. Um, it is uh, interesting. You could see him make shit up as he goes. Yeah, right. You could see him do the thing where you go, I'm gonna get him now. Let's go get him right now. If I can go get him, if I want to, he's right over there. Can you? You can't see him. He's just like Spider-Man. Ah, oh, that's why I wear these sunglasses because I can see this invisible Spider-Man. And you better watch because I've got nine more invisible Spider-Man all over this compound. Yeah, he sounds like Harry Carey. Fuck Charles Manson or something. <laughs> it's very weird. Well, you hear a lot in. I mean, that was a minute-long clip, and you hear a lot of Jim Jones's tactics in that minute-long clip. He's calling out people personally. Mm -hmm. He's doing that politician politician thing. He's frightening frightening them with one hand, and he's bringing them closer with the other. And he's mm -hmm. also keeping them off balance. He's not quite making a decision. He's saying like, "Well, I could get him." If I wanted to, mm -hmm. and he's saying like I could kill him, and he, but then it, he's also saying like, but there's only one problem with that. What if he gets into a court of law? But that's the thing, you just said you'd kill him. Right. If you kill him, he can't get into a court of law. Well, Marcus, you mentioned how he couldn't uh, take him to court if he was dead, but now I'm thinking about a great new movie, Ghost Court. Uh, which <laughs> could we could we could have Dan Aykroyd? That's a really good idea. G litigation. For ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of fun. It's like night court, but with ghosts. With ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> now, it was not all bad days in Jonestown. Fielding McGee. This guy. Whoo, Fielding McGee. <laughs> <laughs> you had a conversation. You had a two-hour conversation with him, which was great. He, what is the institute that he's the head of? The Jonestown Institute. <clears throat> this okay. is the guy. He's the, he is the principal researcher for the Jonestown Institute, which is it is an achievement of research. This guy, uh, he uh, has been transcribing these tapes, these mm. Jonestown tapes, for decades now. Good he's been Lord. going through yeah. them and transcribing them. And he sounds like it. You went... And I listened to the interview that you guys did, and I could not have heard more nerd kissing <laughs> in, the, in, in my life. The two of them just so interested. They're so excited to talk to each other. And Fielding 
could just name off tapes. And he was like, oh, yeah, that's the tape from May 15th, 1974. And he's just like, it's crazy, his knowledge. And he uh, shed a lot of light yeah. on yeah. the story it's for like us. When, uh, it's like when Tori Spelling's character from Saved by the Bell dated Screech. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Remember that? <laughs> I do. Yeah. did find I, a little love there yes, after I all. I do remember that. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, he shed a lot of light, especially on the last days. And he... Uh, he uh, pointed me towards like a lot of really great resources to really try to piece together the timeline uh, of what really happened here. And he actually gave me uh, a little tip on a story when I asked him, what about the good times? Okay. You know, were there good times in Jonestown? And this is something that especially Henry was interested in. Yeah. yeah. Like what, what were the good times in Jonestown and Fielding what McGee? What was game night like? <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, Fielding, he told me there were good times. There were babies being born. Kids were playing all the time. The kids were happy. There was genuine love there. Hmm. Uh, and there was positive laughter, too. You know, it's not just the cruel shit that we heard uh, on the snake tape. Oh. That apparently is... You know, that was an, not a regular thing. Right, okay. You know, there were people here who very much loved each other. And as an example, uh, Fielding pointed me towards this story called Ruth's Teeth uh, that was mm. recounted by Stephen Jones, Jim Jones's uh, son. In this story, Stephen wrote about the time he helped a girl named Ruth fish her fake teeth out of a latrine after they'd been popped out by a violet spray of vomit. Uh, frequent vomiting being a fact of life in Jonestown. This was the good times? These are the good times. Oh, this, is okay. a, this is a funny <laughs> story. Right. My sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person. It's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it. But guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right. Give the moms in your life an aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional. And we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with 
horse picks. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse picks over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I, I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine, and it's an addiction. It's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins. As soon as I wake up, and a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs, which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash LastPod. Uh, a guy named Ronnie rigged a harness and was lowered down into a 15-foot deep waste pit full of socialist <laughs> scat. Oh, and, my goodness. And, Why does that sound more disgusting than capitalist doom? The Republican the, runs? The Republican runs. The Republican oh runs. I will say that the Republican runs are thicker. A socialist <laughs> scat is a little bit more watery. <laughs> All right. Well, this guy, Ronnie, working with Stephen, he managed to swing down and he plucked the teeth that rested on a pile of goo all oh. for this girl you know and they said they were laughing the whole time just like can you look at what the ridiculous shit we're doing like this is yeah. what we're doing down here it's like a deleted scene from the animated movie the rescuers <laughs> oh which, uh, but with more yeah. piles of fetid yeah. jungle shit <laughs> <laughs> no the point of this story is that these people would do anything for each other and they would you know and it's sweet in that way, that these yeah. people would do absolutely anything for each other. But these were the good times, you know? Like, right. it was a hard, hard life. Yeah. Now, and some didn't mind it. And some people loved it. Some people, like, took to it. Yeah. They were saying, like, it's weird how, like, these people from Indiana, like, that was a part of the five months before. Right. There were people who were like, I'm a jungle person. Yeah. I thought I was a Gary, Indiana person. Right. <laughs> but in fact, I love palm fronds. I love bugs. I love sweat all over every single crease of my body. Ooh. And it's just, and they, they love it. Yeah, they absolutely But like, many people did not. Yes. I could see. I watched Planet Earth 2 uh, last night. It's great, right? Yeah, it's great. Uh, it's a little Jonestown-y there when they get to the forest. Well, the people who didn't love it, Jones made it very difficult for them to leave. Oh, 
First of all, he had all their passports, all their money, and all their valuables. Some even tried leaving regardless, just going out into the jungle and seeing what the fuck would happen because they knew there was a railroad mm. not too far away, but a few miles out. If they got to the railroad, then maybe someone would pick them up. Maybe they could hitch on a train. Mm. Uh, but a lot of times, these people were brought back, quote unquote, for their own good. Like, In fact, like two teens who tried to escape through the jungle, they were caught, they were brought back, and they had to wear leg irons for weeks. I don't really understand how they don't have things like... There's certain foods they don't have. There's stuff that they can't get on the the like they can't get toilet lids, right? But they can get leg irons. Yeah, that's interesting, huh? It's yeah. like very difficult to find leg irons if you don't have access to an eBay. I don't even think you can. You even get them on eBay? I don't even know. Yeah, oh yeah, you so. can get them okay. on eBay. Yeah. Uh, and Jones was also just casually mentioning in meetings, like for example, when he was talking about Tim Stone, the people who betrayed him should be killed. What was what was that last part, Jim? <laughs> and he's they do- should be killed. <laughs> it's, it's simple as that, my dears. They should be killed as soon as possible. And he's waving a fucking gun around, which is you're, he's just throwing this shit like an, out there, like it's casual. Yeah, honestly, he sounds like a dude running for the Alabama Senate, <laughs> waving a gun, be like, "They should be killed." <laughs> yeah, and that's not something that we've really mentioned. Is that Jones had a gun on him a lot? All right, big, big three fifty seven Magnum, and he sometimes just kind of twirled it around during meetings. And one night, uh, he was speaking in a meeting. It was like one a.m. These people have worked eleven hours. He'd been mm. speaking for hours upon hours, and so people were falling asleep. So he just <laughs> fired the fucking gun into the air and said, y'all, you awake now? That'll work. You ready to listen to me now? Mm-hmm. I had a history teacher that had a big stick. He had this big bamboo stick that he used to keep next to his desk, and if somebody fell asleep in class, he'd smash the the stick down on the desk and wake him up. Was your history teacher <laughs> Sabu from ECW? What? Yes, he was, Mr. Sabu. <laughs> Dr. Sabu. Oh, okay. And he actually got his, he got his doctorate. Well, Jones was casually mentioning that he would kill anyone who betrayed him, and of course... Leaving was a betrayal. Right. And, you know, a lot of the rank and file, they didn't give a shit who left. They were saying, like, you know what? If they want to leave, let them leave. Yeah, more food for them, right? More food for us. We love it here. These people who don't want to stay here, they're nothing but trouble. We're spending so much time punishing them and trying to get them to love it here. Let them go. By the way, update on nothing but trouble. Uh, it's at five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It's actually gone down, and I think it's because How we're driving. I don't know. I think it's because we're driving people to watch it, and they are no. accurately giving it the score of tomato at Rotten. No, at it's got to go, so it's it's gotta gotta go back up. Yeah, no, I, I think we are actively making the Rotten Tomatoes score. Although Jackie yet. Zabrowski from Page Seven, I don't believe she'll need to get that tattoo, uh, which she has been yes. entertaining for a long time. So very good. Well, for most of these people, they could have lost two, three hundred people and they wouldn't have cared. Mm. Whittle it down to the true believers. But for Jones, even one was too many, Mm. as we'll see. So when the legal pressure from the custody battle finally made its way down to Guyana, Jones stepped things up, taking his old assassination trick to the next level with a full-fledged fake invasion. And if it wasn't so fucking horrible, it would have been kind of fun. (laughs) Because think about this. It's, again, you got a couple assault rifles. You got a bunch of people out in Jungle Compound anyway. Mm -hmm. They are kind of itching for some action. I mean, I maybe would. It'd be kind of fun to walk around with, like, like little, like, the black marks of the camouflage on my face, jumping out of things, being like, gotcha, Jungle Cat. Gotcha, Jungle Monkey. Like, it's like 
get attacked and things. And you're like, that would be fun. Yeah, but what it else? wasn't like that. They're just kind of war gaming. Yeah, right? they're, they're kind of war gaming, but they think it's real. Uh. And I think for a lot of these people, I think Henry uh, hits on a good point there. Is that I think for a lot of these people, like half of this is the sense of adventure. Right. You know, it, it's adventure that they're in the jungle and Oof. that they're... They're from Indiana. They're from Indiana. Like, these, are, these are people... This is exciting shit. Yeah. You're down in the jungle. You, you don't know what's going on. You hear these kind of half-convoluted stories from your, your pastor, your father now, who you now believe to maybe be touched by God. Mm. He's there telling you all of these truths about how America's turning into a concentration camp, like, fucking warehouse. Mm. That is just what's happening. And so... In Guyana, Jim Jones, on the inside, they don't really know about the custody battle. They have been asking, like, there's some kind of leaks of information here and there, but they don't really know how serious it's getting because Tim and Grace Stone, they're constantly filing these court hearings for Jim Jones to have to show up at in the States, and then he's not. So the, the legal pressure is mounting and mounting. Mm. So one day he calls one of his normal meetings and then shit just goes ape shit. Yeah, because Jones had been ordered to appear in a Guyanese court. Okay. Because up to this point, it had all just been American courts, but now it had gotten all the way down to Guyana. So Jones called up the deputy prime minister, Ptolemy Reed, to see if he could straighten it out because Jones, Jim Jones and uh, Guyana, Jones had become quite a pain in the ass to Guyana. He still had political clout, though, huh? I mean, he was able to, because he had political clout in America. uh, So it translated down to Guyana. But Reed was unavailable. He was in the United States on business. And that's a part of it what made him kind of crazy. Because first of all, it's like, why is he United States? Is he researching on me? Because it all has to be about Jim Jones. Also, he used to have access to the prime minister himself. Mm. But now he's been kind of like downgraded to just talking to the deputy prime minister, which is who he should have been talking to anyway. And so Jim Jones also believes that there's now an inner conspiracy in the Guyanese court system coming to get him. And also, Guyanese court would be a great sister show to ghost court. That's <laughs> Not, like I honestly think that would also be a very fun night court, ghost court, Guyanese court would all be would be a lot of yeah. fun. Yeah, I mean Jim Jones. I mean a, a rational person would have thought it's like okay, this guy is a high ranking government official. He's probably in the United States on business that has nothing to do with me. But Jones could not imagine these people to be going to America for any reason other than Jonestown. Okay, he. Figured in his mind, in his paranoid mind, that either Reed had gone to the U.S. to collude with the United States government, mm. or he'd been taken prisoner in a United States back coup. Oh, yeah. We always want the deputy prime minister of Guyana. <laughs> That's a big guess. Yes, we got to get it. <laughs> yeah, and it, but it didn't matter which one, because the reason behind either was singular, Jonestown. Right. And so Jones called out the troops. To make things real for his settlers, Jones brought out the false flag and had his son shoot in his direction from the tree line. Hmm. God, that's got to be so fun as the sun is you get to go shoot the guns. It's like finally they have all these guns and they're not supposed to use yeah. because technically their code name for them is Bibles. That's what they say. That's what they call them on the ham radio. And so they've got these crates full of quote unquote sh- 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 Bibles that you finally get to go play with. And so he's like, son, go out there and start the revolution. <laughs> and so he runs out into the jungle and starts shooting at the shooting at the compound. And then he's like, fuck it. All right, guys, we got to We got to We're we're mobilizing. So either his son is a horrible 
shot or a great one? He's a great one. Uh, and Lord. furthermore, Jones didn't tell his private guard that his son was taking the shot at him. So when his son took the shot, the guard started firing in Jim Jones Jr.'s direction. So he could have very easily been killed here. Well, if they were the animated bullets from Who Framed Roger Rabbit, that's kind of fun. <laughs> that's the third time you've ever brought that up on this show. And I will, Thank you. That is a reference that I don't understand why it is. That is logged in your brain. I love that movie. So do I. Jessica Rabbit. So for the next six days, Jonestown was under siege, as far as they knew. Mm. Jones said that the Guyanese troops, working with a team of mercenaries, were on their way at that moment to take away John Victor. Mm. Now remember this. So, with the, so this is what they've what's happened here. The Red Guard, which is their their group, right? The guys that are like their security team, has grabbed all the AK-47s that they have hidden. Most of people, most of the people in the group didn't even know that they had. All oh. of a sudden. Guns are guns are everywhere. They are being marched in military formations in front of and around the the pavilion and on the grounds of the entire Jonestown compound. How many guns? No one is they, allowed to sleep. How many guns do they have? Not as many as you'd think. Okay, not I'm picturing like everyone no. is loaded it, armed no, to the it, teeth. No, it's, it's like it's twenty-five like guns. Yeah, oh, okay, it's like yeah, yeah. twenty-five to thirty guns. Yeah, it's not oh, Branch okay. Davidian. Oh, okay, all right. No, okay. yes, it, it's just I'd say six short of a. Um, Stockpile, <laughs> like to me, a stockpile. Honestly, a stockpile officially is a hundred. Uh-huh. Yeah, right? sure. Would you call that legally? Maybe. Yeah, I think, that, so I this think is this is a Texas, of, Texas Baker's dozen uh, of guns. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so a yeah. smattering is six. So that would call a smattering of guns. They yeah. had like a standard pile of guns. Yeah. Okay, a pile of guns. A large collection. Okay. Yeah. And so you have to remember, everybody's running in military formations, and they're being kept up. Oh, and yeah. No one is allowed to go to sleep. This is, everyone's on full alert. Yeah. Hmm. And then nothing happened for two days. After nothing happened, Jones told his people that they were all gonna go to Cuba. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, he just made shit up. Yeah. Everybody's staring at him. Everyone's been up for two full days. He finally says like, okay, remember now, there's a, there's a boat that will take us all to Cuba. And he, he just made this shit up saying, we have to go to the Port Ketuma, and there will be a b- boat waiting for us that's going to take us to our communist homeland. Yeah. So huh. he mobilizes all these old people in the middle of the night to march right. through the jungle to Port Ketuma, which is like a two to three mile hike through solid jungle. Right. I think it was longer than that. Good Lord. I think it was more like five to ten. Uh but yeah, he's improvising because he has to Was do something. How reasonable is the idea that they could go that they could go to Cuba? I mean, somewhat reasonable in that he's telling people that Cuba is a reasonable idea. They think, but that it's not. It's not okay. No. Guy Fieri was just there. I watched a triple D. And Guy Fieri was there. It looked nice. Yeah. So he's improvising. He's like, "All right, we're we're going to Cuba. Everyone get there." And he takes them to Port Kaituma, and he actually starts loading them up. Onto uh, the boat. But then an old lady fell and broke her hip, mm. and the whole thing was called off. They're like, all right, everybody back, everyone back to Jonestown, which, you know, sometimes Jones, you know, he was a master improviser, but just sometimes it just didn't work. No kidding. I just, I, I wish we could get across, because when I first read it in The Road to Jonestown, again, if you are really interested in this subject, there's stuff that we're even kind of glossing over that's in The Road to Jonestown. Also, Raven's a fun read, and if you go into the Jonestown Institute, you're going to see a lot of uh, even more what Road to Jonestown kind of even that, even glossed over. But a part of what this, a part of this night was the true panic of it. These people were whipped up into a frenzy. This trek across the jungle was a panicked, 
like half run. People were running and really, really frightened, thinking that people were going to shoot at them from the jungle. They, they had people with guns right next to them. So a part of this was like, like he just started this chain reaction where he was like, okay, everybody, we're going to the port. And everyone just ran out into the jungle and it became a very scary chaos. Is it fair to say the age, the average age of the people running would be the same people of the average age running after like Neil Diamond now? <laughs> if they saw him like performing yes. in Dollywood or something, they would... If like, I went to a soup plantation with a gun and try to get all those guys going, that's it's the same equivalent. It's like a 55 to 70. 55 to 70. Well, I, well Jonestown was in thirds. It was a third el- elderly, a third adults, and a third children. Oh, okay. Uh, so it was... Um, all kinds, all kinds of people uh, tell him that, you know, and Jones had been telling him for days, like, they're right out there. They're at the tree line. They are waiting for you out there. And all of a sudden, he's saying, go out there, and you could be killed at any minute. Okay. But they got back to Jonestown. Nothing happened. And Jones, he gets on the ham radio with Marcel, uh, with Marceline. And by the way, it is Marceline, not Marceline. I learned that from Fielding that, you know, it's Marceline. All right. Uh, but he's on the ham radio with Marceline back in the U.S. because she's back there still trying to take care of people's temple business. And he told her what he thought was going on. And he also told her, we're all prepared to die. We're going to fucking, it's, it's time. Revolutionary mm. suicide is going to happen. And, Marcel, and Marceline knew that this was a threat to take seriously, so she, along with a few other People's Temple mem- members, hustled their asses off and managed to locate the Deputy Prime Minister of Guyana in the whole of America and found him, coincidentally, in Indiana. Indiana. Right. <laughs> Why is he there? He's the music man. Reed got on the ham with Jones and assured him that nobody was coming. And after the assurance, Jones called everyone back to the pavilion and told him, We won! We won! <laughs> That's it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Won. But like, didn't- I didn't know that there was an option to win. <laughs> they were just hanging there and like, Oh, wow, congrats, oh, old man. lady. I Meanwhile, know. she's covered in bug bites and shit. Yeah, broken he, hip. He didn't tell them that what they'd won. He didn't tell them how they won it. He just said, We won. Okay. All the people knew and all they cared about was that the six-day siege, as they started calling it, was finally over. I'm going to do that every time the Knicks lose. I'm just going to say, we won! We won! <laughs> we won! Because you feel so much better that way. This is my question. Marceline, Marceline was a part of the idea. She was like a party to the idea that everyone was going to kill themselves, right? Or was she kind of like playing along a little bit? And Because she seemed to always kind of fight. The, uh, the the final roundup, like every single time there was one of these, the, what we're now going to find out it's called the White Knights. But every oh. time there's one of these, she's kind of the one that says like, no, 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 we're not really going to go all the way. Well, uh, the way uh, Fielding McGee put it to me uh, was uh, that this whole thing was a runaway train, and Marceline was in the engine room tinkering with the carburetor. Oh. You know, she's she was trying. She was Scotty. Yeah. <laughs> so you're saying she's Scotty of Jones I'm not Star Trek? No, I'm not saying yes. she's Scotty. Uh, essentially what it is is that, like, Marston was trying to do what she could, but it was too big. It was too much. You know, there, there was way t- there was way too much to do and way too much to stop. Uh, and she just well, she didn't have the power. The sounds- power had been taken away from her years before and given to Carolyn yeah. Layton. It sounds like it might be a runaway train on a one way track. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and jump spin wheels <laughs> on a one way track. Yeah. <laughs> Feels like we should be getting, getting somewhere. somewhere. 
Find out it's not a here nor there. Run away, dream. That's honestly a really good soundtrack. Yeah, I love the the rest of the episode. We began the episode as old men, and we've middled the episode as old men. Uh, We are just representatives of the lithium generation. (laughs) And I think that's important. We're holding the line. But the beginning of all this shit, the beginning of the six night siege when Jones called his people to the pavilion. That was the first of what came to be known as the White Knights. All right. And that's Knights N-I-G-H-T. White Knights were emergency meetings, something Jones called when there was a defector or there was a problem back home or whenever he felt like he just had something important to say. Oh, I feel like that happened a lot. (laughs) It did. Well, White Knights were like the elevated one. He always had... He always had important things to say, Marcus. Mm. Uh-huh. Um, so he was always talking late at night. They always had the night sessions. White nights were, became, uh, I mean, again, we're joking around as always. Uh, we're a bit of jokesters. But the serious quality of the white nights is something we have to get across, too. Yeah. Where it's like, this was scary shit. Mm. This, the six-day siege it became to known was six days of pure panic that drove people to the edge of pure exhaustion. Mm. Like, a part of what's happening here is that people are so tired and so brainwashed and upset that they don't really know what they're doing. They're kind of moving automatically. They're getting guns put in their hands. They're getting pushed towards the jungle. They're kind of running back and forth in these weird military scenarios. So these these white knights, every single time it happened, like they would say it felt like you could feel the feeling in the whole the whole compound kind of wash over that oh, it's just like where it's like when a comedian does being like now nah, on a serious note that's like what Jim Jones was doing <laughs> yeah. it's always my favorite part of every comedian set <laughs> I always love a comedian's lesson because comedians are philosophers uh, and they are very important and they're the ones that really they're role models and I think it's I think they're too important to be we should be protected by the government I agree and why isn't the plane why isn't the whole plane made out of the black box uh, why <laughs> Ah, Jules. Oh, Jules. Make a wife smile today. The road to getting engaged can be long and full of memories and pitfalls and landmines. Or it can be short and thrilling, like a roller coaster on the way to the police department. But the road to finding the perfect engagement ring is a straightforward path every time. All you've got to do is head over to BlueNile.com and they're going to ship them rocks straight to your wife's new fingers. On BlueNile.com, you can create a bigger, more brilliant piece than you can imagine. At a price you won't find at a traditional jeweler, Blue Nile is the original online jeweler since 1999. That's present time to me. Their diamond price guarantee means that in most cases, they can meet or beat a competitor's price on a comparable diamond. I know when I got my wife a beautiful Blue Nile necklace, the first thing she did was, what did you do? But afterwards, she was so happy to have it, and she loved it, and she wore it when we went on vacation, and modern did everybody come around being like, where'd you get that piece, you beautiful woman? And I was like, stop talking to my wife. She's spoken for. You can see it with the Blue Nile bling she's got on her. Right now, get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more with code LASTPODCAST at BlueNile.com. That's $50 off with code LASTPODCAST at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. 
All those emails, reports, and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. And isn't that what matters most? Better writing means a stronger impact. Grammarly works across 500,000 apps and websites. You can't escape it. Like the ever-pervasing octopus of malice that is the NSA. Grammarly is watching your every move, making sure that you're doing it right. Data privacy and security are woven into the foundation of Grammarly, into the very essence of its nature. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner, and it helps your team make their point and move faster, because that's the key there. Work smarter, not harder. Yes, Grammarly. You know how many times it saves me from writing a long, rambling, one-sentence email at 4 o'clock in the morning to my beloved employees? Makes me sound like someone who doesn't just have a BA in theater. All right, I was taught how to be a tree. I was not taught how to survive as an adult. All right, my job was to cry in front of a weird Southern man who just told me all sorts of weird stuff about my body. I didn't learn how to write. So thank you, Grammarly, because you're making me the boss I gotta be to motivate my team to get out there. Oh, man, you don't want to mess with them. Thanks, Grammarly. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free. Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors. It's a waste. Don't waste hours on apps. Besides appetizers, that's the kind of apps I like. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Did you know that empanadas already Spanish? I didn't. Thanks, Babbel. Did you know that burrito is already Spanish? Wow. I just got to learn all the rest. And eventually, I'm going to be eating downtown Mexico. Thanks, Babbel. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash left. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash left, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash L-E-F-T. Rules and restrictions may apply. Yeah, and eventually these white knights, they would take on a much darker purpose than just scaring people. Now, white knight was not the first name. It was developed through the Jim Jones method, which was just keep saying shit until something sticks. The first name was Omegas, but that signified an end, which went against Jones's whole reincarnation bullshit. Then he tried Alphas, but that didn't have the same pizzazz, that same element of danger. Because like, Omega, that sounds tough. Yeah. It's kind of fun. It's kind of fun. And alpha, but Alpha's very 4chan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next was Black Knight. Much scarier. But he was worried about the racial connotations in that. Okay. But he finally got it with White Knight, which sounded mysterious, foreboding, and again, had that little racial edge to it, subtly referencing the race of the people who were coming to get him. Mm. 
It also kind of sounds like one of those things that that party monster guy would go to in the village <laughs> in like 1994. Michael Alec, yes. yes. He's doing fine now. <laughs> He's doing great. He's out. He's doing great. Yeah. Well, white knights had the explicit purposes of terrifying members and keeping them constantly off balance. The point was to mentally exhaust people to the point of ultimate surrender. These people never knew which white knight would be their last because mm. Jones always made sure they knew the end could come at any moment. In one meeting, and who knows if this is accurate because Jones just spouted bullshit, Jones said that these people had gone through 84 white nights together over the course of a year. Can you imagine wow, that? Yeah. Multiple times a week, these people are doing this. Jones even made them write essays with titles like What I Would Do If This Was The Last White Night. These people obsessed over it and they were terrified of it. Hmm. I'd tell you what I'd do. I'd probably ask Becky to dance with me. Because <laughs> oh. I never had a chance to dance with Becky. <laughs> All right. Oh, that's enough. That's enough, Tom. <laughs> you asked me what I would do if this was the last white night. Oh, I love singing Tom. <laughs> and part of why they were so terrified of him was because the first one lasted, as we said, six days. That's six days of constant terror. All because Jones's ego could not imagine the Guyanese government doing anything that didn't have to do with Jonestown. Can I ask a question? How many of these things do you think came out of a genuine concern that there was a real conspiracy going on, or was it about Jim Jones essentially needing activity? I think this may be a 50-50 slice here between him being truly paranoid and driving these people, and I do think at some point he does believe the thoughts that come into his head, that he thinks that he's channeling shit. But there's also a part of me thinks that he just likes the action. Yeah. And he likes getting everybody revved up yeah. because it makes him, it, it basically gets him horny for how much power he Yes. Yeah, how much of his own bullshit is he taking seriously? Uh, it's hard to know. I mean, yeah. it, it, that's that's one of the things that it, it's impossible to know uh, how much he was actually taken seriously. We can guess, but... Fielding McGee said that he thought that he was taking himself pretty seriously until Brazil. Oh, until he failed over there. Oh, okay. Well, taking, him ser taking himself seriously as in he was a, a Christian. Like oh. McGee thought, believed that, like that Jim Jones did believe in everything, and that, and we talked about that in uh, the first or second episode as mm -hmm. well. That you know Brazil was the turning point for Jim Jones. But at this point, and another thing that McGee said is that, like you know, every time you talk about Jonestown, you're faced with ten more existential questions that will never be answered. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just such a gigantic mystery. Yeah, why do you park on a driveway but you drive <laughs> on a parkway? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Guyanese, they weren't the only government officials in Georgetown to have to deal with Jim Jones. Airport. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> we, oh, if nothing sticks to Teflon. Uh, why do they cover the, how do they get it to stick to the Teflon? How do you know if yogurt's gone bad? Oh, uh, that's the best comedian of all time. What the heck? What was his name again? Mike Warnke. Mike Warnke. Can you hear me? Airport. <laughs> no. Besides just the Guyanese, the Russian ambassador was also besieged with calls from People's Temple. Now, the Russians gave the People's Temple a little attention because they were fellow communists. They sent a Russian reporter, but the only question the reporter asked was, where are all the TVs? The so this is what so what happened is that Jim Jones was looking for it. It's fucking ridiculous because he also assumes because it's an American compound. He's just like, let's wear all your your TVs and your jean jackets. Everyone has a jean jacket and the denim Levi. I turned Italian. Yeah. But, uh, 
a part of um, what he did, Jim Jones was obviously looking for, like what we talk about with every cult leader. He needs, what's the next chapter? What's the next thing we're going to do? So he was looking for possible socialist asylum in whatever country that he could he could reach. So he started sending letters to North Korea. He sent mm. letters to China, to the Chinese embassy, the North Korean uh, embassy in, uh, in Guyana. He sent it to, and all of them were like, um, cool. Nothing. Okay, no, thank you. Like they were all like, as soon as they <laughs> yeah. got the letter, they just barely respond. They sent like a form response, being like, "Thank you for your interest in the Communist Party. We we, we don't need you." But the Russians um, were but, down. But I think the Russians did it just to make fun of us. The Russians, like all of this shit with Putin too, where it's like all of the stuff with the election, I think it's just because they think it's hilarious to fuck with us. Yeah. Because so, he showed up and they literally like, they went all the way down to Jonestown with no expect, like this is after the white night had already happened. They have no fucking intention of taking them. Absolutely But the not. guy went and right. did the full inspection. He did the full, he did the full thing. He walked around, he looked at Jonestown, uh, but the only thing he said was, Jonestown is more socialist than us. We should be taking lessons from you. Oh, my God. Are you guys crazy, huh? <laughs> yeah, God, Shmirnoff. Check, please. I'm a... <laughs> Me and my compatriots are leaving now because um, this place sucks balls, and I've lived in Russia. Okay, see you soon. I do want to update everyone on my GameCube experience regarding Freedom Fighters 2004. I have defeated it. So I did beat the Russians what? in my own right. I'm playing a game. I'm, I'm a gamer now on GameCube. Oh, good. Oh, good. But really, like Russia, it was... It was a false hope, you know. They, Jim sure. Jones knew Russia was never going to take him. He just used it as something for people to cling to when things look grim. And, man, you know shit is not going well when the Soviet Union is your happy place. Hmm. I don't know. Russia's kind of fun. They're like, they have footage of, like, drafts driving taxis and shit. <laughs> yeah. And, like, and, and AK-47s being used to cook eggs. It's like a fun place. If you want to have a great YouTube hole experience, Russian um, uh, uh, dash cam videos. Dash, dash cam. cam videos. Yes, the the amount of rage that they drive with. I don't even think they have gas in those cars. <laughs> it is simply hate. Now, the State Department was also getting involved, but in a very half-assed capacity. They sent representatives to see if people were doing okay, but all they got were stock. We're doing great. Everyone loves it here. Type of answers. Mm. Now, People's Temple. They actually had public rehearsals for when people came investigating, whether it be the State Department or reporters, with the questions being asked by Jones himself in what he called his reporter voice. <laughs> All right. Uh, tell me, do you put people in boxes here and bear them in boxes? Have you ever, ever, ever buried anybody in boxes? No. Uh, I'd, look more shocked, I'd look more shocked than that. No, we haven't. You know, uh, I'd say, why hell no, or six not, huh? I'd say, what? Hell no. Somebody, may, uh, what's, what, what prompted that question? Say some of these rotten news stories. Say in the first place, say how are you gonna put somebody, even though we got ideal temperature, seventy-six degrees with trade wind, how are you gonna put somebody in the ground, under the earth, in a box, and keep them alive? That's silly, man. That's crazy. You know what I'm saying? It don't make no sense. You could put nobody in a box under the ground like Debbie lied. You can't do that. You couldn't put nobody underground in a coffin. Shit, they, you, I'm, I'm surprised these fools print this shit. Anybody with the right mind ought to see through it. Okay, I've stamped on you long enough. <laughs> now, first of all, 
That's just blank slate. If you need to get out of anything, the standard response has got to be what? What? Hell no! Hell no! <laughs> like it's just like that's how, that's how you know. That's how you know for a fact that you don't believe in what they just said. What? Hell no! That was Stone Cold Steve Austin's catchphrase when he ran out of ideas. <laughs> but that's no fault of his own. He had a lot of good ideas. Um, but a another thing to remember here is think about what he just said. He is coaching them right. to tell reporters how insane and horrible it is, the idea that someone would put, put somebody in a box and you would torture them and yell at them outside of this box and put it on the ground. Mm. How insane. There's no way you have that. But in but in reality, they did do that. Yeah. Right. They, they, they did do that. So he is... This is the kind of control he has, is that he is telling you to tell everybody how insane the idea is of the thing that you already did. And it's the, the cognitive dissonance is insane. Right. Yeah. Like what you do, you're putting them in a whole other world. Like that was somebody else. It's like you're compartmentalizing their whole reality. Mm. Now, the State Department said one of the reasons why they never pushed too hard was because they didn't want to impede on the religious freedom of the settlers. Okay. But I don't think there's really a lot of truth to that. Ironically, I think the reason why they didn't push was because the government didn't want to deal with a bunch of San Francisco hippies living out in the jungle, and they just hoped it would all work itself out. It could have been. I mean, that's a logistical nightmare for them also, yeah. right? What would that look like? I mean, lawyers have to be brought in. You know, there's all kinds of legal ramifications here, like constitutional ramifications right. here. Well, you can kind of almost see the line of thought about how maybe this is even influenced later on why they dealt with Waco the way they did, where yeah. it's like, essentially they did a hands-off policy with this one, and then 900 people died, and they just kind of assumed the jungle will handle everything, and they were afraid of the legal ramifications, but then with Waco... Waco was a total fuck up too, mm-hmm. but it was the opposite side of the fuck up yeah. where it's like, this is just them trying to figure out what to do. And they don't, they don't know how to handle this shit. Yeah. I yeah. think they actually got it right with the, with that old Bundy clan. Remember that? <laughs> what was it in Oregon? In Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they just kind of waited them out and I think the most of them were in jail now. I mean, Jonestown was too soft and Waco was too hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, they went way far in the other direction uh, because I mean, the CIA was not after Jim Jones because the CIA usually doesn't waste time with failures. Mm. I mean, they might have paid attention had Jones reached national status and actually started changing shit, like what happened with Martin Luther King. But I seriously doubt the government gave even the tiniest fuck about some raven asshole shouting the boonies in South America. Okay. Do you think they would have cared if he would have stayed in America? Maybe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, things were mounting in America. Because remember, right. you had the that big article in San Francisco, hey, came out. That's and now right. in America, that's a part of what's happening here is that the pressure from America is really, really increasing. Okay. There's more and more people looking into the cult. The cult had a, uh, it was becoming kind of like the topic of the day mm-hmm. in America of people obsessed with People's Temple. Yeah. And People's Temple did have government agencies after them, but they weren't anywhere near as sexy as CIA agents hiding in the jungle. It was like the I social. Mean, that's not that sexy. Well, you know what I mean, I mean by sexy. I mean, like, just a CIA I mean, agent just be like. That's Whoa. kind of what. <laughs> the problem is that um, in movies, CIA ag- CIA agents are Gerard Butler right, and Gillian right. Anderson, but in reality, CIA agents are are me. Yeah, like I, I am. I look like a CIA agent, which is kind of fun. I kind of like to. 
yeah. to join them they are just the, to see what it's like on the inside. They're the most boring people you could possibly imagine. They're not allowed to talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But the people that were actually after People's Temple, it's like the Social Security office that mm. were delivering the checks to all the old people and customs checking their supplies and the FCC getting on their ass about using the ham radio for business because you're only supposed to use the ham radio for fun. Oh, that is okay. it. <laughs> that is it. That is the rules, Kinsel. Yeah. You better be having fun. When you're using a ham radio, you better be giggling and giving nicknames to truck drivers. What if I love my job? My dad's truck driver nickname was B. Kraut, by Ooh, the way. Like B. That. Kraut. Oh, B. Kraut. That's really cute. That's really cute. Yeah, and these were serious problems. You know, it's threatening their money and their supplies and their communications. But the deep state, it was not. It was postal service workers. Yeah. It was the post service and the social security office and like dudes that works at the FCC. Like, yeah, these are real problems, but yeah. it wasn't the CIA and the FBI. I do love the idea but of a post office a- worker just every morning just be like last line of defense <laughs> as he puts on his little. Uh, <laughs> well, it's like Lil Rel from uh, Get Out. Yeah, it's, exactly. it's the whole TSA shit. But it, part of it is, can you imagine? Yeah, the guys at the FCC just being like, "You guys know how fucked up this is." Like trying to call the government, and be like. There's like fucked up shit happening. They're saying Bibles, but I know for a fact they're talking about guns. And ham radio's supposed to be for fun. And there's nothing fun about lying about guns. It's so subjective. Yeah. Okay. When in the mind of Jim Jones, and by extension the people who were getting the info through his filter, it was all the same. These people were coming. They were coming soon. And so they'd better prepare. That's when the White Knights took a dark turn. That's when. Mm. On February 18th, 1978, Jones gathered everyone together and told them that the Guyanese government had been infiltrated by the CIA for real this time. Okay. And that soldiers had begun gathering at Port Ketuma. Uh, Mr. Jones, uh, I don't want to interrupt your monologue, but... Is this this is for real? For real this time? Uh, singing Tom, could you just sing that back to me? Is it for real? For real this time? Oh, you got to believe. That's enough, singing Tom. This time, though. Nothing was done. No troops were deployed. No sentries were mounted. No exodus was spoken of. Mm. And after a few hours of making people wait, Jones left, went to the radio room, and came back to tell everyone that the troops were advancing. They were coming, and they were coming now. He might as well just picked up his hand and done, like, the phone motion with his, like, <laughs> pinky and thumb being like, I'm going to call the uh, Guyanese government and make sure I know what's happening. Beep, boop, boop, beep, beep, boop, beep, 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 boop. I'm seriously dying on the phone, y'all. Yep. Yep, hello, yep, yep, yep. We got to kill everybody now. There's definitely a thing happening. Is They're all over the place. The CIA is everywhere. I saw a CIA agent dressed as a monkey earlier trying to get up closer to Mr. Muggs. Oh. I did not. This was not. I am not a part of this. I'm being dragged into this scenario. I am just trying to enjoy a banana the way that monkeys enjoy a banana from the bottom up. I love Mr. Muggs. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's kind of what happened. Hmm. Jones declared that it was finally time. Assistants brought out vats filled with dark liquid and told everyone to scoop out a cup and drink deep. Within 45 minutes, he said they would all be dead. Those that argued were pushed to the front by guards armed with guns and crossbows, and those people were made to drink first, setting a precedent. These people knew that this could very well be a test 
But when it did actually happen, they knew there was not going to be a choice. After the 45 minutes were up, Jones told them that it was all just a test and that everyone had passed. We won! (laughs) We won! And again, nobody said shit. In fact, it seemed to strengthen their resolve because they didn't blame Jim Jones. Mm. They blamed the outside world for making him do it. Well, think about that kind of shit, too, where you... You're being trained to take the poison. Also, I think at a certain on a certain level, you believe that it'll always be a test. Mm. I don't think that they'll I don't think that they truly let it digest that it was really going to happen. They thought it was a thought test, I think forever. And it wasn't until what we'll say on the final one was the tenor was so intense, mostly just because of the the level of armed guards that was kind of forcing them to do it, that they realized it was for real. But I think up until up until then, they thought it was always going to be shit like this where he's just teaching us a lesson. Now, we don't have enough time to go through every stressor that led to November 18th, 1978. Jones had lawsuits, threats, and a steady drip of news stories out of San Francisco, all of these coming one after another after another. So in an effort to relieve stress... Jones turned to any avenue, including Jimmy Carter. Really? Yeah. Jones wrote Carter a five-page letter titled, Urgent, 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 that told Jimmy about all the problems he was having with the custody battle, making sure to let Jimmy know how and why he had sex with Greystone. Uh, if you want to get his attention, you say, Peanuts, Peanuts, <laughs> Peanuts. No, I'm just a sample peanut farmer. And I've read your conurgent letter from you, Mr. Jones, and I have to say, uh, I am glad that Greystone has been dutifully sexually satisfied. But I am trying to put solar panels on the White House, and I'm getting much pushback. (laughs) They don't like it. I don't understand. Can you help me, Jim Jones? This is my Jimmy Carter impression, <laughs> which is getting worse and worse. <laughs> oh, Jim Jones, you just send him those sunglasses put those on top of the white house. I'll tell you that. Jimmy did not respond. He did not. He did oh, not. He was busy. He did, he oh, was the busy. president. He was busy. With the, whole. the president didn't respond. That's weird. Well, the drugs were taken hold as well. Once, Larry Schacht caught Jones in his room, combing his hair, saying he had to make sure he looked good for his upcoming visit with King Hussein of Jordan, oh. who was coming to visit Jonestown. No kid. Yeah. Okay. Was he wearing pants? That's my question. <laughs> Defectors also continued to escape. High profilers. Debbie Layton, the sister of Jones's right hand, escaped and told about the poison test, which caught the attention of Congressman Leo Ryan. Oh. Jones's sons were already on their way out the door, too. They, along with Marshland, saw him for what he was more than anyone. But Jones didn't really need him anymore. He had Carolyn Layton and Maria Katsaris and Annie Moore and a dozen others. The no matter what's, the ones who doubled down every time Jim Jones did crazy shit. Mm. But Jones <laughs> was gaining allies as well. One of Jones's favorite movies was Executive Action. What's that about? It's like it's a conspiracy thriller. It's oh. about like the JFK assassination. It ah. was a bomb. But wasn't there also another movie called Executive Action? Executive that had Decision. Kurt Russell and Executive Decision. <laughs> yes. That's what I was thinking about. Yeah, Jones contacted one of the screenwriters, this guy named Donald Freed, and Freed came down to Guyana and found he liked the cut of Jonestown's jib. Big fan of your work, sir. <laughs> bulk of the series. <laughs> Wrote the bulk of the series. Now, through. 
1983, Jones was put into contact with a lawyer and author named Mark Lane. Lane was a conspiracy theorist who swallowed Jones's claims that the government was working against Jones hook, line, and sinker, or, more likely, Lane saw something he could exploit, much like another more modern conspiracy theorist named Jones that saw the same type of opening and, seeing a meal ticket, seized on it. Okay. Okay. Being a, sadly... A self-described, I would say, almost former conspiracy theorist, because now the name, the, the time, the times have changed, and it's been taken from me. Mm-hmm. Is that um, I can't imagine anything more exciting than a fresh new conspiracy. Yeah, you get to be dropped down into a whole thing, and that's kind of fun, where you get to show up and look and see, like, oh, I can manipulate this. Kind of like what would happen if we had really gotten into Lord Rael <laughs> back oh, in the day when we found right. him. <laughs> Anyway, we like, got to take a quick break here. I need to just hop in my tactical bath. <laughs> um, I just purchased it. Now, Freed and Lane listened to Jones's rantings about the intelligence community coming after him for what Jones said was no reason whatsoever and took them public. And it didn't matter if they believed it or not, these two guys. They created a feedback loop making Jim Jones's claims, quote unquote, real. When reporters asked Lane for concrete evidence, Lane said... Where's the CIA not been? Yeah, got him. <laughs> and they're Fucking like, but that's not a that's that's not an answer. Like, there's no there's no evidence. Like, we're asking right. for specifics. You're giving us, you know, you're giving us conjecture. Like, do you have any specifics that because because this was a time when like you know the FBI and the CIA were villains. Yeah, you know uh, there was COINTELPRO and all kinds of shit. So the media they were villains until fucking six weeks ago, Marcus. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like now a all of a sudden they're not villains anymore. We talked about that and on so, April. Lincoln's top at never forget they're still kind of villains <laughs> yeah well yes. the people were at the media who was looking for any dirt on the CIA and the FBI looking for anything uh, they were saying like dude give it to us like give us something and Lane's yeah. just like draw well, your own conclusions all, on this one bud all I got is this dress from J. Edgar Hoover's closet <laughs> must be his wives or something I don't know you want to see a fun little secret he puts a mask on that just says CIA on it CIA on it I'm the CIA now. What? <laughs> you could just do that? What? Hell no. But a part of what he... Uh, I also imagine Mark Lane is wearing a Hawaiian shirt looking like Nedry from Jurassic Park. <laughs> oh. But it is a fun... He had a fun opportunity here as a conspiracy theorist, and I believe he milked it sufficiently. Okay. Yeah. All right, so we're going to take a quick five-minute break for some sponsored content that is still full of information in which we talk about a gruesome ritualistic murder. But we'll be right back with the day itself. This segment is brought to you by The Ritual, hmm. the hit film coming out on Netflix <laughs> very, very soon. Fi- a film cannot be a hit before it's released. According to Rotten Tomatoes, it's absolutely crushing it. So, And Rotten Tomatoes is a snarky website. And it, I believe it's at 72% right now. So The Ritual doing very well. All movies nowadays are presupposed to be a hit. Yeah. Like it's supposed to be. And honestly, what I liked about The Ritual immediately is that it reminded me of my friends. Why? Because you want us all dead? No, I don't want us all dead. It'd be fun. To die together, <laughs> and yes, the ritual will make a wonderful addition to your Valentine's Day. Uh, if she likes horror movies, if or likes if he movies. likes horror movies, make sure they're into the genre. But if they are, they're gonna love this movie. Well, this is one of those things. It's kind of it's kind of like the other thing we did, where it's a story that's inspired by uh, the media that's coming out. This one's inspired by the ritual. So we're going to uh, use this ritual, the ritual, as a kind of like little jumping off point to tell you a story of a mysterious disappearance in the woods. Okay. 
This is the murder of the Cowden family. Uh-oh. Hell yeah. So on August 30th, 1975, Richard Cowden took his wife, Belinda, their two small children, David and Melissa, and their basset hound, Groupie, on an Aww. impromptu camping trip to the Siskiyou Mountains near Copper, Oregon. I like basset hounds because they name themselves. <laughs> yes. Just flappies, yeah. the labias. This is my, this is my basset hound labias. labias. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> the last person to see any of the Cowden's was the proprietor proprietor of the local general store who sold Richard and his son a gallon of milk as they were on their way back to the campsite on their last day, September 1st. I don't know if milk is a camping drink. Yeah, it goes no, we used to quick. always bring milk on a camping trip. I think you'd you it. always do. You always did. I believe that the parks always picked up pickles and milk for every camping trip. We're a milky family. Now, these people have been expected at Belinda's mother's house that night as their campsite was only a mile away and the plan was for a quick dinner on the way back home. But when they failed to show up, Belinda went searching. When she got to the campsite, the family was nowhere to be found and it seemed as if they just walked away. Mm. Their car keys were on the picnic table along with Belinda's purse and the gallon of milk they'd bought earlier that day sat half full next to the keys. It's actually quite a bit of milk to drink. Yeah, that is for like a couple four, hours, like, yeah. like four or five hours. I don't mean to be focused on that. No, it is but an interesting. Like they, yeah. they sat and they chugged milk for a while like it was a family game. Well, maybe it was. To see who, and Belinda always wins. Why not? <laughs> well, this is a mysterious disappearance, so any clue could be the secret to unlocking it. So maybe the empty half gallon of milk could be the key to this all. You think Big Dairy did it? <laughs> is that what is is that what's happening here? Is this a big dairy move? Because to me, they're always trying. To, the only way they would be that is if it also they had also purchased grape juice mm. or some uh, like sun kissed. Was it? What's it? Remember the orange stuff? What was it? The um, Sunny D. Sunny D. Sunny D. Sunny Delight. I imagine Big Dairy'd want to kill a family to keep them from drinking Sunny Delight. Oh, sure. <laughs> well, stranger still was Richard's belongings. He had a prized wristwatch, mm-hmm. expensive, and it lay on the ground next to his wallet, which contained twenty-one dollars. Not a small sum in nineteen seventy-four money. I mean, it's still. It's not a big sum. It's, yeah, it's, it's not big the Oregon Trail. I mean, you specifically <laughs> saying, I mean, $21. I guess if you're going to kill the family and not take the milk, then leaving the $21 like does mean something. So they were, they just left. So it is, they came back and the, and the whole camp was just set up like they were in the middle of shit then they disappeared. Well, not really. Okay. The strangest thing was that the only miss, missing items were their bathing suits. What? Yeah, that's Weird. all that was missing. Everything else was there, but the bathing suits were gone. Okay. So Belinda's mother called the cops, who, of course, waited another full day to begin investigating, as there were no signs of violence. Okay. It wasn't until the Cowden's Basset Hound, Droopy, showed up scratching at the front of the Copper General Store that cops finally took the whole thing seriously. Wow. Was it covered in all the bathing suits? <laughs> Did the dog steal the bathing suits? That's a good question. For eight months, the police had not only no leads, but no evidence that anything had even happened. It wasn't until eight months later that people found out what happened to the Cowdens, although to this day nobody knows exactly what happened or why. Two gold prospectors, still apparently convinced they could still find gold in 1974, found Richard... Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> Why not? Probably. It hasn't all been mined out of there. 
They found Richard Cowden's desiccated corpse tied to a tree seven miles from the campsite from whence they vanished. Well, Eureka! <laughs> Yo, oh Kimbo, see what I found up them in their hills? Come to... Oh, shit! <laughs> that is not gold. Can we sell this? <laughs> no. No, it's a dead father. I don't think so. They go for very little money. A further search of the area uncovered a cave whose entrance had been blocked with rocks. When the rocks were removed, investigators found the bodies of Melinda Cowden and the two small children. Hmm. Although there was a supposed confession from a criminal out on parole at the time named Dwayne Lee Little, it seems highly unlikely he was involved and just happened to be in the area Hmm. that day. It's likely that what happened to the Cowdens will forever remain a mystery. All right. It sounds like a thing that if Jesus came back and he was really pissed off <laughs> and decided to take take it out on people, uh-huh. that he would kill people just like he got fucking killed. Listen, if Jesus was a serial killer when he came back and he nailed the like fucking the the, the father to the, to the tree like he, they did to him, and then he put him all in the cave and he put all bunch of rocks in front of it like they fucking did to him, he's like Jason. I want to say that is not the end of the movie The Ritual. So there's no spoilers <laughs> happening here. Make sure you go and check out. This film. Oh, yeah, The Ritual, now streaming only on Netflix. Watch it on Valentine's Day. Grab your lover real close or grab yourself because you're completely alone. (laughs) And now, back to Jonestown. What a great segment, and I can't wait to see the movie The Ritual, Marcus. We already did the ad, and we we don't have to do it again. So in November of 1978, Leo Ryan finally decided it was time for him to visit Jonestown on behalf of the United States government, supported by the Concerned Relatives Group. In addition to hearing the poison test stories from Debbie Layton, Ryan represented a district near San Francisco, so he had a vested interest. And ironically, Ryan also traveled to Jonestown because he was known to fight against social injustice, which he saw in spades from the stories coming from Jonestown. Okay. Now, I, I'm only going to do this once because I know it gets really sad, but I think about Jonah Ryan from Veep every time you say Congressman Ryan. Uh, Jonad, which makes it fun. So many but Veep references. Veep is the best show. It's an actual comedy. Um, but yes, but I'm not going to think about that again. Um, also, I would say that this Leo Ryan move to uh, Jonestown and what happened to him is pretty much chronicles the last time a congressman ever did anything. Yeah. <laughs> like in terms of actively leaving or doing anything for any sort of constituents whatsoever because um, it gets you killed sometimes because I guess they're not as popular yeah. <laughs> as you think they'd be. As they think they are, I guess. Ryan sent a letter to Jim Jones informing him of his intentions weeks in advance, so Jones knew he was coming. Along with Leo Ryan went two staff members, nine members of the media, and 13 concerned relatives members. Members, including Tim and Grace Stone. This is Jones telling his people what was being said about him back in the United States in advance of Ryan's visit. They endured weeks of this shit, which only served to heighten tension. Stuff of a lie. They're filled with hate. They say I initiate people here. Every male I have to school and every female I school. And that we cut up people, kill them, bury them, and eat them. It's all kinds of vicious lies, anything that fits the purpose. Babies have been burned alive. They don't mind telling any kind of lie, and they feast on lies. Each one of them feasting on lies. 
They spend every wasted moment, every moment they're not at a job, talking about us, obsessed by us. They, we are their devil. They have to have something to keep them going because their life is so empty. I mean, it's like people are also thinking about the Hoosiers. <laughs> and I know in Wisconsin they think about the pack attack quite a bit. <laughs> this is just unbelievable, the self-obsession here. I mean, obviously, he's a, he is a narcissist and he's making everybody obsessed with him as well because that's, again, we've always talked about is that when you're in a cult, you're in the cult leader's brain. You're now a part, an extension of him. Oh, sure. But also, there are nuggets of truth in what he's saying. Which is the, he does fuck all the women and all the men. <laughs> and everything else is like, everything else is lies, but it was kind of, I wonder how that is for people in Jonestown when you hear it saying like, they're spouting all these lies, saying that I make love to every man and woman. And they're like, uh, you do, dad. But, uh, I mean, you fuck me. <laughs> also, I do want to point out to the audience that Henry has lost his shirt. He has. Uh, at some point during this recording, now you are fully, uh, however, mo more clothed, it looks like, on account of your uh, hair. But so I, I, do I wanna... spilled some of my coffee, and I didn't want it to get it on the computer, so I had to use my shirt because we were on a roll. <laughs> okay. All right. Just want to keep everyone up to date on the shirt status of Henry Zabrowski. Well, no one back in the United States is saying that they burn babies or kill babies or right. eat babies or anything like that. No one's saying that. Uh, but Jim Jones is telling these people that they're saying that. And they're saying that people like Ryan is coming and saying that. And on top of that, like Stone's, Tim Stone is coming. This villain that Jones has created for such a long time, like all of the villains are coming. Mm. And we know they're coming. They are absolutely coming this time. Mm. Uh, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So people endure this shit for weeks. They hear every single night. So by the time Ryan shows up, people are fucking terrified they are on edge uh jones is walking around with his armed guards at all times like these uh, shit is reaching a boiling point by the time ryan before ryan even shows up i mean if you're congressman ryan you got to be like hey, have you been uh saying bad shit about me or something because i just feel like they don't like me at all i don't even know him. yeah the vibe is off in here it's like i had a bad opener you know what i mean it's just like it's like what can i do it's like an opener can't be that good but he also can't be too good right you know what i mean he's got to set the stage for the headliner but when Leo Ryan showed up, uh, he, he, honestly, that, that, that's what he'd been doing, right? Is he'd been telling all these lies about what was going to happen when he came. And uh, for, for, he was kind of getting normal correspondence from them. Yeah. Like, like, they were kind of like, they were had like a normal thing. He said that they were planning to come. They didn't realize the inner debate. That was happening inside of Jonestown to like even should he if he if if he even could come to the compound. But a part of me wonders if Jones knew the second that Marcelin convinced him that they should let Leo Ryan in as if this was gonna be the final the final couple of days. Hmm. I really wonder if he knew. Well Ryan didn't even want to go into Jonestown. Mm. Like, he, his entire plan was he was going to go. He was going to have a nice little trip to South America. He was going to go to the gates of Jonestown. They'd say, you're not coming in. And he was going to go back to America and be a politician. He was going to open a congressional hearing. And then it wouldn't be his fucking problem anymore. Mm. Oh, so being a politician means just getting together in a room with a bunch of other fucking idiots and doing nothing. Yes. But you feel like you did something <laughs> because yeah. everyone had a good long talk about it. And then he also got a free trip to South America. America, and you know what I mean? You don't think that he would just go to Guyana and dip his toe in and Joe said and leave. There'd be a little bit of partying, a little bit of, <laughs> oh, yo, yo, yo. I'm not sure how they party, but there'd be a lot of drinking Sambuca. Actually, I don't know what they drink in South America, but stuff like that, mm -hmm. where it's like he'd have on a vacation too. 
Fucking congressman pieces of shit. <laughs> Always finding time to party. Well, Ryan, I mean, we, we can't malign the name of Leo Ryan. He was actually uh, sure, a good I'm man. Not, no, I know. I know. <laughs> yes. I'm just saying but, I have a disdain for congressmen in general that gets yeah, expressed. Yeah, Leo Ryan was a good dude. But unfortunately for him and everyone involved, Jones decided after a lot of pressure from his lawyers and Marcelin that Ryan should be let in hmm. because they believed that Ryan was their key, was the key to their survival because like Marceline she was a good woman she didn't want anyone to die and the lawyers they didn't want to lose their meal ticket and presumably didn't want anyone to die either this was the reasonable Jonestown contingent because there was mm. still reasonable people there that's what you hear uh, again and again especially from people like you know Tim Carter being like this was not a um like, this was not necessarily a, a huge hive mind. There was some sort of hive mind going on, but there were a lot of reasonable people around going like, hey, wait a minute. Like, we right. need to slow this shit down. Like, we like what's going on here with the socialist society, but all this other shit we don't want. Now, when Marceline, was she not involved? In, she was not involved in the first white night. She was out of town, right? I think so. I, she was in the United States. I think that was before she came, yeah. By the yes, time Marceline so, got there, it was... <laughs> Way out of hand. Okay. So up until then, the reports are rich because Marceline was a part of the original, like the burgeoning, like cutting the jungle, getting Jonestown in there. A part of their big argument was like, we have done this beautiful thing. We are creating a pure socialist society where everyone takes care of each other. All of the best qualities of everyone is being used. She doesn't really understand quite how dark it's gotten. Mm. So part of her big push and everyone on the inside being like, let Ryan see mm -hmm. what we've built. Yeah. Like we have this thing, we have a, a uh, uh, what's it, the... City in the sky. What was it? What was that term like? On like on the mountaintop. We made the PL. We made the promised land. Yeah, but hmm. the she didn't fully understand the extent of how bad things were really getting. Yeah, it sounds like when your college roommate is like, "Come to the bathroom. I got something to show you," and it's just a turd. <laughs> and it's like a big one. And you're like, "Okay, <laughs> thank you." Yeah. Well, I think Marceline, Marceline, Marceline also uh, somewhat willfully ignored a lot of the bad shit that was going yes, on. I, I think sure. she thought that Leo Ryan could come in because it, it had happened before where people had traveled down to Jonestown, like family members had mm -hmm. traveled down, uh, and they clean up their act when those family members are there. When the outside people are there, they clean up their act for a few days. Right. They don't do anything awful. Uh, and then the family members go back and say, like, actually, it looks pretty cool. Like, everyone's, yeah. have, everyone's really enjoying themselves there. And they could have done the exact same thing with Leo Ryan, but there was another contingent of involved in Jonestown, the ones that were preparing for Armageddon, mm. or at least their own personal Armageddon. You think they get off on the lie? Like the whole yeah. community, when the person comes in, they pretend to be so nice, like the movie House of Wax, and then as soon as they go, then they're like, and this is like, do you think they, yeah, even they like yeah. it? Yeah, they yeah. get away with it. I think okay. it's a, it's the part of which, I think when we originally started talking about Jim Jones in the first couple episodes, we kind of used the idea that he's like a serial killer that used a group of people as a weapon against itself. This is where the serial killer part the compartmentalization of his personality i think comes in because mm. a part of it's the joy of getting one over on somebody right. there's like a thing here that we we're hoodwinking people we're we're living double lives and the thrill of that is pretty intense like he he loves that one we we have all these inner sanctums there are people on a need to know basis about what's really happening here um but i also think they, they also openly expressed that, that a part of having leo ryan come was they thought they could relieve from some 
pressure is if he comes and takes out the people who don't want to be there. Marceline actually wanted that to happen. She wanted the people who didn't want to be there to get a chance to leave and that Leo Ryan would be the kind of ticket for that. It would be a good way. It would soothe Jim Jones. It would be like a thing where he comes in, hopefully gives a blessing to everything and takes just the small quotient of people who want to leave out and that what that'll do will allow the rest of us to kind of live a peaceful life here without all these people complaining all the time. Yeah, yeah. but there were a lot of people that were not into that, specifically Carolyn Layton. She drew up a memo called Analysis of Future Prospects in which she outlined all the reasons why Jonestown had no chance of survival in any way whatsoever. In a subsection titled A Final Stand If Decided On, she casually wrote about a final solution should things go south with Congressman Ryan, outlining how the mass suicide could most efficiently be carried out. Casually, well, we'll bet. Maybe we'll behead each other. Maybe we'll shoot each other. Maybe we'll take pills. What do you think? Guillotine. They, they always say guillotine, right? They act like a guillotine. First of all, it took me seven hours to put together the the clothes drawer, like the set of drawers I have for my Kia. Oh yeah, in, in my bedroom, right? And I'm a fucking moron. And there's an set of instructions. If you order a guillotine. It is not only going to come disassembled. Oh, yeah. But I don't think that they're going to give you instructions on how to build it. I think a guillotine's like, well, if you can figure out good luck, also, you're going to need to find your own guillotine blade, which is the hardest part of a guillotine. Absolutely. So you want to just, you act like it's the simple solution, but that's like hundreds of man hours that you just casually wrote down, Carolyn, thinking yeah. that we could just build all these guillotines lickety split. That was, we got Leo Ryan coming in a week. That's a very recent, relatively recent Alex Jones conspiracy, as a matter of fact, that the government's going to kill us with guillotines, which is not even uh, oh, an effective no. way to do it. That's not recent at all. Well, Wait, so within five years or so? Uh, I guess so. No, it's, yeah, it's recent. No. It's so stupid. No, dude, uh, Bill Cooper was saying it. Oh, that was Bill Cooper. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it started oh. with Bill Cooper. The whole point of guillotines is to do the mass suicide because what it does is build up the organ energy of people lying in terror of the blade, and when the blade drops, the spurting of blood acquires a lot of magic energy and that is what they're supposed to be using to open up the pyramids to let the reptilians in. It all, it all makes perfect sense. Well, well, this memo from Carolyn Layton, like, it has echoes of correspondence you read between Nazis about, like, the concentration camps, the best way to kill everyone. Uh, it has that banality to it. You know, they talk about this shit like we talk about, like, planning out a fucking episode. We're fairly mm. serious. <laughs> Now, I think we got like a chicken and egg situation here. Did Layton plant the seed of inevitability in Jones's mind with a memo? Or did Jones plant the seed in Layton's mind, which led Layton to write it, feeding back into Jones's own deadly desires? Did they hashtag release this memo? Or <laughs> did, did, I mean, did people know about this? Or no, was this, no, was a, this was a top not. secret memo. The, this, okay. was a, this was a, a top secret, like, and, and I don't even know who else saw it. It might have just been between Carolyn Layton and Jim Jones because they found so much documentation. Okay. Uh, and so many tapes after uh, everyone killed themselves. Mm. Now, either way, whether Jones planted it in Layton's mind or Layton planted it in Jones, when you look at how fast and efficiently all this happened, it was obvious that this seed had fully bloomed mm. before Ryan even arrived. But just before Ryan arrived, though, Marceline insisted Jones let their sons travel to Georgetown for a week of exhibition basketball games because Jonestown had a basketball team. They did. Yeah. What are the, the Jonestown boys? What's their name? <laughs> It was called the South Guyana Thin Men. Very <laughs> malnourished. And they would show up. Apparently, they, they would go um, and they would lose. They're a very bad basketball team, I'm but sure. they loved it. They, they, it was the way they do. But Jim Jones would 
always spout the scores from the games. Been like, and we whooped them again. <laughs> we whooped them, and that's all we do. We whoop them, and we whoop them, and whoop, and whoop across this great country. Meanwhile, it's like they are they are traveling with the ball constantly because they don't have the energy to dribble. <laughs> and everyone else just lets them do it because they know they're from Jonestown. <laughs> yeah, they would. They were terrible. They constantly lost and they were having to come back after Jones told everyone that they had won and eventually like they lost so much that Jones would just lie about how much they lost by. Oh, but he did it. God, he's, just, he's making <laughs> so sad. The truth. It's so sad. Can you imagine being honestly going through all of this shit? You love basketball and then you're sitting there. You're, I I mean, obviously, you're one of the chosen ones. You're here hanging out in the in the in Jonestown as a child, so you're actually having like an okay time. But having to lie, like that level of lie, has got to be depressing. It's ridiculous. Well, this brings up another question about Marceline sending the boys out. Was this a calculated move on Marceline's part to remove at least a couple of her children from Ground Zero, the place where shit was most likely to go down? Was it a calculated <laughs> move for her to remove some of her children from Ground Zero, <laughs> or was it a coincidence? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I actually, I wonder, the more and more we learn about Marceline, especially from uh, McGee, is that it seems like it may be calculated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, either- it seems like she may have sent them out because she did this a couple of times with the other kids. She always kind of like, whatever opportunity she could to get the kids out, she took. Yeah. Right. I mean, either way, it's a tragedy. Of course. S- Stephen Jones himself has said on multiple occasions that he and his mother together were the only people who could talk Jim Jones out of his dumber ideas. Leaving Jonestown saved the lives of Stephen and Jim Jr. and a few dozen others, but the absence of their cool heads may have doomed everyone else. Mm. And this is no fault of their own. I mean, this is just a tragedy of history. But had they been there, it's possible they might have been able to stop it. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe just it delaying seems the like inevitable. that train, once that train left the station, right. it seemed like by, by the end, especially we're going to find out with the fates of everybody involved, what we see end up happening is that whatever it would have been, it would have been delaying the inevitable yeah. until either they really truly did get in trouble with the U.S. or Guyanese government. Or they finally just did their their version of the final solution. Yeah, it's like when they cut the brakes of John Candy's car and who framed or who uh, <laughs> killed Harry Crumb. No, who is that, Harry Crumb? Who, who is Harry? Is that what it's called? Who's Harry? Crumb? Who's Harry Crumb? Yeah, oh, that movie's great. <laughs> but once he starts going, you're not stopping. I, you know what? When I sat down and re-listened to the death tape again, the only thing I could think of was John Candy. <laughs> and I'm just glad you brought him up. Like, no problem. That's, that's, R.I.P. Glad, yeah. Legend. So on November 17th, 1978, Congressman Ryan and 19 others chartered a plane and flew to the small potholed airstrip in Port Kaituma. After being greeted by Jonestown settlers, only Congressman Ryan, an aide, and eight members of the media were allowed to go. The ninth, from the National Enquirer, was refused admission due to an earlier beef with Jim Jones. He had a feud with the National Enquirer? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. And when the group arrived in Jonestown, they found... A near paradise. His oh. settlers had worked even harder than usual in the days leading up to the visit to make it seem like Jonestown was a well-oiled machine full of the happiest people on earth. Oh. And the rehearsals had somewhat worked too. This here is a couple of statements from settlers on that day, as shown in the PBS documentary, which is why there's the creepy music underneath. Are you happy here? Oh, I should say I am. I've never been any happier in my life. You want to stay? Definitely. I certainly do. Some people have said they couldn't leave if they wanted to. Do you think you could? Yeah, if, if I really wanted to, I'll, I'm free to go. 
if I was really, if you really wanted to, I'd be able to figure it out. So brainwashed at this point. Uh, brainwashed, I'm not sure. I, I don't know if it's brainwashed. No? No. I, I don't know if brainwashing is the right word Do you think that they the knew right they were even lying? What's that? I mean, that's, do you think they knew that they were lying in that situation? I think so. I, th- okay. like, I think so. I think they know that they're lying. I think a part of it in the end is what they've been indoctrinated. Actually, Marcus, I think maybe, not that you're wrong, but I think that this is actually the face of what brainwashing actually is. You're not actually an automaton. I think that's that's kind of the thing that everybody gets confused about about cults in general. So they think that you become this kind of like brainless like robot when you, uh, Om Shinrikyo is probably the closest yeah. that this came to that. This is people making a willing choice. What they have now been constantly indoctrinated to believe is a means to an end that we have to do this to keep our perfect society alive. We're now in the growing pains of a perfect society. That's why it's not good right now. That's actually mm. to me brainwashing at its most insidious where they have been they are they are fully convinced that what they're doing is right, and that what they and they'll they'll do anything to protect it, mm. including lying. So a part of it's they are actively lying, but the brainwashing's the layer deeper. And there, I mean, maybe mm. there were some people there. I mean, there definitely were people in Jonestown that were of that ilk that were definitely true that, believers, true believers yeah. that were like that far <laughs> in that were lying, but I, some or that thought that this was a means to an end. But I mean, I think when you start to see like the defectors coming out, there were definitely some people that. Uh, um, saw something wrong mm. going on here uh, oh, and yeah, wanted yeah, yeah. and wanted to get the fuck out. I don't. Right. Th- it's the the hold on that Jim Jones had on his people is uh, it was tenuous and strong at the same time. It was very strong on some people and very very loose on others. Mm. Now that night, Jim Jones met this whole group at the pavilion and everyone had dinner in honor of Congressman Ryan and even a couple oh. of concerned relatives. But they didn't have the usual rice mixed in with specks of meat. That was the norm at Jonestown. People's Temple dipped into the piggery, as they did (laughs) only when guests came and served a nice pork dish. Have I made the joke about how that sounds like a bank run by pigs? <laughs> Many times. Okay. Many times. But what I will say is that eventually I will own a bar called the Pig. Oh, I'm going. So that we can always say that I got to go take a dip into the piggery. And you go, man, that would be so much fun. Oh, and have yeah. like make hot girls dress up as hogs. Like you get a bunch of like hot girls, you make it like a bikini bar and you get like hot dudes too, dressed with piggy noses and little piggy ears. That's kind of fun, right? That's good. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it sounds like you're like a Ukrainian like billionaire. I don't. Yeah, it's very weird. If I ever get real money, if I get a million dollars, everybody's going to be fucked. Everyone talks about Elon Musk. Talking, I'm like, I'm actually pro Elon Musk. I love yeah, that he, he sent, sent a, a car, car to space. space because he can. Why not? He's a billionaire. And when I'm a billionaire, if I'm ever a billionaire, I'm wearing an exoskeleton everywhere I go. <laughs> one of those big mech warrior things, and I'm going to terrorize people on the street. Elon Musk is the only reason we have a space program. You're talking about having people wear pig costumes and serving beer. <laughs> so I feel like one might be a billion dollar idea and the other one is a pig costume as I beer service. I am a modern day Elon Musk. I'm next gen Elon Oh, okay. Musk. Well, dinner was followed with testimonies and a special performance by the Jonestown Express. Ooh, cool. They were really good. They were great. If you listen, if, if you go to the beginning of this chapter in the PBS documentary and they show some singing from it, the girl that was a lead singer of Jonestown Express is fucking incredible. Right. Yeah. And in the middle of all that, Congressman Ryan got on the microphone and said a few words. I think that all of you know that I'm here to find out more about uh, questions that have been raised about your operation here. But I can tell you right now that from 
the few conversations I've had with some of the folks here already this evening that uh, whatever the comments are, there are some people here who believe that this is the best thing that ever happened to them in their whole life. Jeez. It's I'm, crazy. It's I, like uh, Led Zeppelin or something. Dude, I cut the cheering off because it goes on longer. The wow. cameraman said that I had never seen anything like this. Mm-mm. Like he sat there. This the 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 sound that came out of him is like I had never heard anything like this. And one of the followers turned to him and says, "Like it's because you've never seen anything like this." That was Tim, which Carter. is very yes, that's really intense. That's very very intense. But also, mm. I think in that noise, you hear almost a. I think everybody kind of read a little bit of the writing on the wall, thinking that this was going to be um, the end times. And I think a part of what we're hearing is relief mm. of, okay, he's cool. We don't have to all kill ourselves. Yeah. Like this is like mm. we we just bought time. Yeah. We're just here. We did it. We did the big hurdle. What we thought was going to be the big hurdle. Now we can really start living our socialist utopia. Yeah, okay. we did it. You know, like they, they we actually, won. Yeah. <laughs> they saw a, a huge victory right in mm. front of them. You know, they, they, he would leave and everything would be great and no one was going to die. Okay. But while all these good times were happening, a settler named Vernon Gosney had passed a note to Don Harris of NBC because Vernon thought that Don Harris was Congressman Leo Ryan. And the note read, Vernon Gosney and Monica Bagsby, please help us get out of Jonestown. Ooh, that's chilling. Now, yes. now, Vernon tried to be smooth with it, but since he was nervous as hell, he got butterfingers and dropped the note as he was passing it. And when he picked it back up and handed the note to Harris, a little kid saw him and said, he passed a note, he passed a note, uh, which is what all of the kids were trained to do. Uh, the kids were trained to, to rat on everybody, mm. which is another strike against having a child. <laughs> but it's very similar to, you've ever seen the movie White Ribbon? No. No. It's about um, as the Nazi party is rising in Germany and it's about like the kids in the school were essentially like the thought process of the Nazis had kind of like boiled down into the kids. And so the kids became really scary um, because essentially it became informants for the state, which is basically what they were going for Mm. with the Nazi youth movement. And you see it here where in this little moment where you could see how like a child is weaponized um, with thought. Right. It's very intense. Now, Jones did nothing that night, although he almost certainly knew about the note. It's almost impossible for Jones to not have heard about one of his settlers passing a note to one of the reporters. Right. And the media had to go back to Port Kaituma to sleep. But Ryan spent the night in Jonestown without incident. I think if the plan all along was to just kill Ryan, he could have done it then. Right. Like very, very easily. Slit his throat in his sleep. That would be it. <coughs> Once again, Jones was improvising, but he was prepared. The next day, on November 18th, 1978, what Jones had been preparing his people for over the course of almost a decade finally came to fruition. Mm. Ryan awoke early and was almost immediately met with people ready to get the hell out of Jonestown. In fact, people had already started to go. Overnight, 11 settlers had seen the writing on the wall and had escaped through the jungle. But also, this shows the true congressman spirit of Leo Ryan, because when he showed up, he didn't show up with any plan to get people out of there. He just showed up really expecting, I'm not even going to be able to get in there, I get to go party in Guyana, <laughs> and then leave. I know it's his job, and I know he was technically doing a very good job, and he was, he was there, I'm tra- trying to malign him, but what I will say is that he had no backup plan. And so when he showed up... He, all of these people are now coming at him saying like, hey, we want to get the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. And he's like, uh-oh, 
what the fuck do I do now? Mm-hmm. Right. Now, Jones himself didn't appear until noon, and as soon as Jones walked out of his hut, he was told about the overnight escapes and the defectors who'd approached Ryan. Jones and Marshland took some of the defectors aside, the ones who were still there, and tried to convince them to stay, but none were persuaded. He especially tried to use Marshland. When Marshland was like, we're going to do reforms, we're going to change everything, I know you're not happy here, I know you've had a hard time, but we're going to change. Believe me, we're going to change. Yeah, maybe just change the name to like Uncle Grumpy's Circus Fun. (laughs) That's how you do, you start with the name. Yeah, change it. Yeah, there were whole families that were leaving, like the Parks family. They'd been with Jones since Indiana, and they told Ryan that they were prisoners in Jonestown and begged to be taken away. Mm. The Bogue family, who counted six said pretty much the same thing because I mean the Bogue, the head of the Bogue household he'd been getting ripped on by Jim Jones for weeks if not months at that point mm. he was one of Jim Jones's whipping boys so he was like we can get out of here let's get out of right. here parents took children they left their spouses behind they'd caused just complete and total chaos and loyalists verbally attacked the defectors I and mean, they were calling them traitors mm. and then the news crew cornered Jones for a torturous Desperate 45 minute long interview. Here's an excerpt. Last night, someone came and passed me this note. He's the one that I'm just talking about. Yeah, this is this, this is the man that wants to lose his son here. Doesn't it concern you though that, that this man, for whatever reason, one of the people in your group? People was, play games, friend. They lie, they lie. What can I do about liars? Are you people going to leave us? I just beg you, please leave us. Bill, we will bother nobody. Anybody wants to get out of here, can get out of here. We have no problem about getting out of here. They come and go all the time. I don't know what kind of game. People like, people like publicity. Some people do. I don't. But some people like publicity. But if it's so damn bad, why is he leaving his son here? Can you give me a good reason for that? Well, you're also here when you listen to that. Remember, hear that noise in the background. At this point, it's fucking fever pitch, right? You're seeing Jim Jones. He's lost kind of a lot of his powers at this point. He's saying weird, dumb shit about him playing a game and doing all stuff, which is obviously he's been kind of been exposed. He's sitting there where he's talking to people while everyone around him is starting to fucking freak yeah. out because they are trying to pull out like Leo Ryan and the crew's trying to leave and people are like, take my fucking kid mm-hmm. and, and trying to like jump in with them on the party. But Leo Ryan doesn't have any fucking room on the plane. Right. So here they're all like having this like ongoing negotiation at the, at the foothills of Jonestown trying to get out. Yeah. Meanwhile, Jim Jones is doing whatever frantic shit he can try to keep everybody in play. Now, as the people continue to scream at each other and have these very, very public fights, the rain came. A fall storm descended upon the settlement. Torrential rains and howling wind. Tim Carter, in an oft-quoted line, said it felt like evil blowing into Jonestown. Mm. By the time the storm had passed, 15 people had decided to leave. Along with the 11 that had escaped overnight, the total number of defectors stood at 26. Now, to put that into perspective, that was less than 3% of the Jonestown population. Wow. Now, the lawyers, they were fully prepared to lose three times that. They were like, yeah, if we lose 10%, great. And they would have considered that a victory. Wow. 26, that was beyond their wildest hopes. Yeah, they did good. 
They technically that was that was not bad. That was not a bad loss. And honestly, it would have helped some shit because they're all sleeping fucking on top of each other. Probably <laughs> really good to have lost like thirty bodies mm-hmm. so right. that there's some more room out there. Yeah, and the lawyers in Marceline also <laughs> figured like, hey, this is gonna take the wind out of Leo Ryan's sails because he went down, he did his due diligence, only twenty six people left, you know, three percent left, and so Ryan's not really gonna have enough people yeah. to go back for a congressional hearing, especially after Jim Jones like let him in. Like Marceline and uh, the lawyer's plan, it worked. It totally worked. Mm. Like everything was on track. But Jones didn't see it that way. He saw it as an ultimate betrayal. One person would have been too many, much less 26. To him, the 26 was only a beginning. And he very well may have been right. Of course, we'll never know. Either way, he wasn't going to give them the chance to leave. Not the 26, Mm. nor the 908 who decided to stay. Jones decided it was time for the final white night. The original plan was that Jones would send Larry Layton, Carolyn's brother, along with Ryan as a would-be defector. And Larry Layton did go along, but he brought with him his gun. And the plan was that as soon as the plane was in the air, Layton was supposed to take out the gun and shoot the pilot in the head, and that would crash the plane into the jungle. Mm. And this had nothing to do with keeping Ryan from telling his story and everything to do with giving Jonestown one last push. What's with brothers-in-law doing fucked up shit? <laughs> like, honestly, why is it always like my brother-in-law, he, oh, you know, like my my sister's first husband, I had to go and help him run booze one time into this dry county that his buddy was in in upstate Florida, <laughs> and I had to do that. He also had a whole pile of nugget and butt magazine <laughs> that was like all this stuff it's like in a big trash bag why is there always brothers in law I don't know I hey. think that might just be more of your sister's dating choices <laughs> uh, on that one but yeah Larry Layton was Carolyn's brother-in-law yes okay now this action killing Leo Ryan it would make Jones's oft-repeated fantasies that the United States was coming after them a reality a dead congressman would ensure that yep they were coming The problem was there were more defectors than Jones had planned on. As we said, that meant that Jones had to call a second plane to bring them all. And now that there were two planes, there was no guarantee that Leighton would be on the same plane as Ryan. Well, think about this shit, too. There's all of this chaos is happening at Jonestown. Storm comes in. Now nobody's leaving. It's torrential downpour. Mm. People are freaking out. Jim Jones and his contingent has gone off to the side. They are already putting the final white night into order. Leo Ryan has got to figure out how to get a plane to port kids like to back to the airfield. And so he has to arrange all this shit from the offices of Jonestown. He is calling the guy in his government doing all this shit. It's Ugh. like it's massive chaos. Yeah. Yeah. And then at the last minute, Ryan decided to stay behind just in case more people decided to defect. So once more, Jones improvised. Now, we don't know for sure which order Jim Jones gave or if Jim Jones even gave an order, but some believe that Jones took aside a loyalist named Don Ujara Sly Mm. and told him to cut the congressman's throat then and there. That's how you know you've become acclimated to the jungle is if you change your own name to Ujara and you're from Indiana. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Sly walked up to Ryan and held the knife to his neck, but 
Sly hesitated, and in that moment of hesitation, Tim Carter and Mike Lane, the conspiracist lawyer, wrestled him away. And then when they wrestled Mm. him away, they accidentally cut Sly's hand in the process and showered Ryan with blood, Mm. which is why in the pictures you see of Leo Ryan... After he left, well, he's covered in blood. Well, they said that he acted, they, it was kind of haunting the way that Ujara acted, is that he showed up and he was like a Manchurian candidate where you walked up to Leo Ryan and just said the words, motherfucker, it's time for you to die. And then he was crying, viciously crying. Mm. He went up to, and he like slowly put the knife up to his throat and then just froze. And it's, he didn't, he wasn't prepared to kill. Like he, he couldn't kill, like he, he couldn't do it. And so they, they pulled him down and it's just, how insane is that? Like, yeah. cause I don't know if you've ever, have you been mugged Kissel or Marcus? Yeah, I've been mugged. When I got mugged, there's a part of being like ass- assaulted on the street or something like that, which I, I don't know if people know with, like uh, like if they, where you kind of almost feel like in shock, mm-hmm. where oh, you're yeah. not even sure what's happening, where you're like looking at me and like, am I being mugged right now? Where you have to like ask a question and you could see the look on Leo Ryan's face right. where he's like, oh shit, I was just like almost murdered. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. So, I mean- I was just thinking about when he was helping people out uh, in the black community with electricity bills and stuff mm-hmm. like that and how it got to this point. It's just insane. That's the great tragedy of it. My goodness. Now, after that, Ryan figured it was about time for him to get the fuck out of Dodge. So yep. He- that's the, Well, you know what? Ding, <laughs> yeah. ding, ding. That's the indicator. Time to go. Check, please. And then he's, like, he's the first person to actually use check, please, and it worked because they the plane showed Ryan caught up with the truck that had been carrying the defectors and the media back to the airstrip. He hopped on and he told them, drive as fast as you can and get us out of here. Mm. Now, it's possible that Jones was trying to take Ryan out on the spot, but it's equally as possible that he was just trying to scare Ryan away. But either way, Jones was not going to let Leo Ryan leave Guyana alive. On Jones's command, a heavily armed crew of eight, the Red Brigade, hopped in a tractor trailer and took off after the congressman. Jones then called up the People's Temple offices in Georgetown and gave the code that it was time to die. Mm. Now remember, Stephen and Jim Jones were in Georgetown for a basketball game. Stephen was at the Georgetown headquarters at the time when they received this code. A lot of people have gone to see Mr. Frazier. I think Mrs. Brownfield has offered to help. Now translated, that meant people were dead and it's time for you to die as well. So Sharon Amos, one of Jones's most loyal, relayed the message to the People's Temple offices in San Francisco. Now, Stephen Jones, he tried his best to save everyone in Jonestown. He even wanted to go back to Jonestown because he knew what the code meant. But he knew, one, there wasn't enough time. They'd have to charter a plane or take a boat, you know, and get all the way back there. And even if there was enough time, they didn't have any weapons. You know, there were 25 armed guards in Jonestown that would have taken them down immediately. (laughs) And Stephen almost saved everyone in the Capitol. But in a moment of distraction, when Stephen wasn't looking, Sharon Amos locked herself and her three kids in the bathroom along with a man named Chuck Beekman and slit her kids' throats before opening up her own. Back in the jungle, Leo Ryan and the others had reached the airstrip unharmed. But as they were loading into the second plane with one plane already taxiing down the runway... The eight gunmen arrived. Down the airstrip, a group of Guyanese soldiers watched from a distance where they were guarding a broken down Guyanese plane, completely independent of this entire situation. 
oh yeah, they're just sitting, just fucking, just hanging out, just doing their job, and all of a sudden, all these people start opening up fire at each other, and then they just didn't intervene because they didn't get in one, they didn't want to get in the middle of a bunch of Americans fighting each other, which I can actually sort of understand, where they're just like, uh uh-uh, this is above my fucking pay grade, I'm not going to go, Mm. and I don't know what's going on over there. Yeah, I mean, the Guyanese soldiers get involved, and all of a sudden, you've got a diplomatic incident, you've got a, a, you've got an even bigger problem Mm -hmm. than these people killing each other, because now your guys are involved at this point the Guyanese government can say like hey listen we just gave them the land we didn't know what they were doing out right. there so the soldiers just watched as the gunmen opened fire now it was a good thing for Jones that he sent the crew because Leighton was already on the first plane without Ryan and that plane was about to take off but even though Larry Leighton at this point really didn't have any reason to he took the cue from the gunman and started shooting his pistol anyway, and he wounded Monica Bagsby and Vernon Gosney. Those are the ones who had passed the note in the first place. Layton was disarmed by defector Dale Parks, but by the time the gunman drove off, nine were wounded and five people, including Congressman Leo Ryan, were dead on the ground. Oof. The gunman could have easily finished everyone off, but instead they focused on Ryan and the reporters, the ones who had pissed off Jones the most. They pumped Ryan's body in particular full of bullets, shot him in the face to make sure, and drove back to Jonestown where the final white night was Mm. beginning. The settlers were called to the pavilion in almost calm tones, so calm that people assumed Jones just wanted to talk about what happened that day. They didn't know about Ryan just yet, but they would soon find out. Armed guards surrounded the pavilion. This had been done during previous white nights, especially during practice runs. But this time, it felt real. The energy was different. And someone heard Jones ask, can you make it taste less bitter? So with most of the settlers present, Jim Jones turned on his microphone and began speaking. How very much I've loved you. How very much I've tried my best to give you the good life. But in spite of all of that I've tried, a handful of our people with their lives have made our life impossible. There's no way to detach ourselves from what's happened today. Not only we're in a compound situation, Not only are there those who have left and committed the betrayal of the century, some have stolen children from others and they're in pursuit right now to kill them because they stole their children. And we we are sitting here waiting on a powder keg. As Jones gave his speech, Larry Schacht continued to prepare the potion. Somewhere in the camp already laid the bodies of those who had been Dr. Schacht's test subjects, possible volunteers who gave their lives like they used to give blood for Jones's stigmata. It soon became clear what was happening, and only one person stood up and spoke out, 60-year-old Christine Miller. Back in California, Christine had been a successful real estate broker, just like anyone you'd meet on the street. She had more than a few times publicly disagreed with Jones during meetings and had once stood defiantly demanding Jones respect her all while he was holding his 357 magnum to her head screaming at her 
She, one of the few people who wasn't afraid to tell Jim Jones when he was wrong, stood up on the last day and asked him why they couldn't go to Russia as he'd promised. Mm. You think Russia's going to want? Uh, no, not going to. We're not. Uh, you think Russia's going to want us with all this stigma? We had we, we had some value, but now we don't have any value. Well, I don't see it like that. I mean, I feel like that as long as there's life, there's hope. That's my faith. Well, some everybody dies. <laughs> some place that hope runs out because everybody dies. I haven't seen anybody yet didn't die. And I like to choose my own kind of death for a change. I'm tired of being tormented to hell. That's what I'm tired of. Tired of it. There were some seniors in the back who agreed with Christine, but they were in the minority. The only responses on microphone she got were in support of the plan and in support of Jim Jones. I think I still have a right to my own opinion. I, I'm not taking it from you. I'm not taking it from you. Christine, you're only standing here because he was here in the first place. So I don't know what you're talking about, having an individual life. Your life has been extended to the day that you're standing there because of him. Then, after Christine had been shouted down and Jones continued justifying what was about to happen, the assassins returned and delivered the news that their mission was a success. It's all over, all over. What a legacy, what a legacy. But the Red Brigade's the only ones that ever made any sense anyway. They invaded our privacy, they came into our home, they followed it 6,000 miles away. Red Brigade showed them justice. The congressman's dead. With that, Dr. Schacht had his cue. He, flanked by his nurses, walked out to the side of the stage with syringes filled with Flavor-Aid and cyanide. The children were to be first. Please get us some medication. It's simple. It's simple. There's no convulsions with it. It's just simple. Just please get it. Before it's too late, the GDF will be here. I tell you, get moving. Get moving. Get moving. Don't be afraid to die. If, you're, if these people land out here, they'll, they'll torture some of our children here. They'll torture our people. They'll torture our seniors. We cannot have this. The first one to go was a woman in her 20s, carrying a month-old baby in her arms. She went willingly and took her child with her, but not all the parents were so eager. Armed guards forced them to the front, where one by one, nurses plunged the syringes full of cyanide into the children's mouths. Parents were given the choice to go at the same time as their children, a choice Jones unironically called humane. And despite what Jones said, it is a terrible death. It's cyanide. You convulse. Your mouth fills with a foam of vomit and saliva and blood, suffocating you. Drink to death, it took each individual member of People's Temple anywhere from 5 to 20 minutes to die. And as this was happening, as babies and toddlers and children were lying on the grass, foaming from the mouth, people still praised Jim Jones. I appreciate you for everything. You are the only. You are the only, and I appreciate you. Until the end, there were people almost fighting to get to the microphone, all to thank him. And the banality continued. This is Maria Katsaras giving directions. You have to move, and the people that are standing there in the aisle go stay in the radio room yard, but everybody get behind the table and back this way, okay? 
There's nothing to worry about. Everybody keep calm and try and keep your children calm. And the older children can help love the little children and, and reassure them. Aren't crying from pain. It's just a little bitter tasting, but they're, they're not crying out of any pain. Then, when people started seeing what was actually happening, the scope of it, the enormity that this was actually real, that whole families were dying before their eyes, Jones rushed them. Hurry, hurry, my children, hurry. All I say, does not fall into the hands of the enemy. Hurry, my children. Hurry. The seniors out here that I'm concerned about, hurry. I don't want to leave my seniors to this mess. Quickly, 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 quickly. There are quite a few edits on the tape, so it's hard to put forth a specific timeline. Jones had a pause button on his microphone, which he seemed to turn on and off without reason. And we don't know how long it took to murder all of the children. In all, the number of kids killed sits at 270. To put that into perspective, that is 14 times more than the number of kids that died in the Mira building in Oklahoma City. We don't know how long it took to kill the kids, but we do know by the time the adults began, they were still in the process. These are the last recorded words of Jim Jones, spoken as the adults began scooping cups full of poison out of a vat with a big green C printed on the side. We've set an example for others. We've set 1,000 people who say we don't like the way the world is. Take our life from us. We laid it down. We got tired. We didn't commit suicide. We committed an act of revolutionary suicide protesting the conditions of an inhumane world. It's estimated that from the first syringe to the last cup, it took about four hours to kill the vast majority of the 909 who died. The number of survivors that day at Jonestown stood at seven. Shit. Four hours of that. It's four <sighs> It's four hours of the worst time in your life. And so add that to the actual death by cyanide. This is just, it's terrifying. It's terrifying what, what oh it God, can all lead to. Like all of this started as uh, a guy just, a guy just wanted to help people in Indiana, I guess, or a person that, you know, do you remember when he was into airplanes? <laughs> Jim Jones was yeah. really into airplanes at seven. He could have been, he could have worked for Delta. A lot has changed. Yeah. Now the Carter brothers, Tim and Mike, they were sent with Mike Prokes to Georgetown with a suitcase full of cash that was to be delivered to the Russian embassy. Tim Carter found his wife and child moments after they'd taken the poison and they died in his arms. And as they died, he decided he was going to survive. Well, he was working on a plan to try to get them out because he realized what the fuck was happening. When he got this detail allowing him to leave, he was going to try and take them. And when he found them, like essentially like mid dying, the, the way he described his, he said his wife looked confused. Like, that's the thing that's like, it fucks with me. There's like mm -hmm. a thing about a big idea where she was like, what did I do? Like in the, in the middle of it. Yeah. Odell Rhodes had simply walked up to the guards and said he didn't want to die. They parted, let him pass, and said, have a nice life. Mm. <laughs> Jesus right. Christ. As it's just as like, how many people are like, we could have just done that? 
I mean, that's a, there's a lot of debate on that as yes. to like how many people could have done that and how many people would have done that. Yes. Now, as far as what Odell saw that day, he said one girl refused to go quietly. She just kept spitting the poison out again and again and again. Other survivors, like Stanley Clayton, said he saw people being injected. Now, bodies were found with needles bent in their arms, obviously injected by force. But Grover Davis, who saved himself by hiding in a ditch, said he saw everyone go more or less willingly. So out of these survivors that we have that were there that day, these seven people, there are different perspectives, Mm -hmm. of course. The Alex Jones prototype, Mark Lane, talked his way past the guards by saying he needed to stay alive to tell the story of Jonestown. Mm. And that piece of shit hid in the jungle while the people he helped get to that point were dying on the ground thousands of miles from home. Now, the documentary Paradise Lost shows Marcel and Jones being dragged to the vat. It's almost certain that it did not happen that way. That's something that Fielding McGee pointed out to me as well. Most likely, after seeing the destruction of her life, she took her drink willingly. Her body was found amongst her people. The last group to die were the leadership and their children, 13 of them, including John Victor Stone, whose custody status had helped precipitate this entire mess. They walked around the compound with guns, taking care of the animals before they went. The 13 met their end in Jim's cabin. Some drank from a thermos filled with a potion, some injected themselves, and some did both, either making sure it stuck or proving one last time how much more dedicated they could be than the others. Mm. Then there was Jim Jones himself. When they found him, he was sprawled out on the pavilion. His eyes, no longer shielded by sunglasses, were staring upward, and his head was resting on a pillow. He had been killed by a single gunshot wound to the skull. The only other person to be killed by gun that day in Jonestown was Annie Moore, the last to die, and most likely the one who killed Jones. According to the survivors who lay listening in the jungle, hours passed between the last and the second to last shot. Annie seemed to have been given the detail of of wrapping everything up. It seems that what she did was make sure all of the, the inside circle was dead, like she administered probably shots and and gave helped give out all of the poison and then it seems like she killed Jim Jones and then put his head on a pillow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think she must have done that at the very end and then she was just uh, doing last minute shit. Yeah, in those hours, they found Annie lying in Jones's cabin, blocking the door. She'd either been wandering the grounds for hours, taking in what they'd done, or she'd spent her time inside crafting her suicide note. Either way, she seemingly went to the grave still believing in Jim Jones. The last line of her note, written in different color ink than the rest, read, We died because you would not let us live. God. Counting the people on the airstrip and those in Georgetown, the total dead on the order of Jim Jones was 918. That's where all of this ended. Wow. Thankfully, Stephen Jones, who deserves to be hailed as a hero, spent all night on the phone with the San Francisco office and no one there took their lives. So in the end, Jim Jones got only half of what he wanted. He wanted to die and he wanted to take people with him and he got that, but he didn't get the legacy. He wanted a grand revolutionary gesture that would inspire others, that would make people see him as a great man. What he got was a joke and a bad one at that. 
he got pundits and politicians and writers smirking as they casually shrink this tragedy down to one stupid, thoughtless phrase that's become Jim Jones's biggest contribution to the world. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. It's flavor eight. <laughs> it's Well, don't drink the flavor eight either. Shouldn't be drinking flavor eight, honestly, because of the sugars. But think oh, about this shit, man. Honestly, it's I, I actually I really love this Ugh. ending, Marcus, because a part of it is that is that that's what he left the world with. In the end, he left the world with the shitty joke. He left yeah. the world with people like us making commentary on him. It's like, it's like now which has become uh, a genre of entertainment with it. We're sitting on that we had no clue was going to be a genre like this man's whole legacy is is garbage and he killed 918 people and now we have like I have a collection of pins with his face on it that says the Kool-Aid man oh yeah underneath it and all that shit where it's like what a waste what a gigantic waste well yeah, all sport people. is a horrible drink too <laughs> yes. Remember all sport? Uh, the future yes. of drink. I had a I had a bit of a thing for all sport. I it's like carbonated. I mean like Gatorade is the best of all, but I'll take all sport over power right. any day of the week. All right, everyone. There it is. The five parter. I tell you what, I, I'm really excited for the next episode i'm excited to do uh we got something coming that's of course something that's near and dear to my heart and i think it's going to be a lot of fun yeah it's going to be a lot but on the other hand man like most of the time when we get to these long series like i'm so like oh god like please let's move on to something else but with this one like i'm i'm fascinated like uh, this is i i could have done four more episodes all right well we'll call this point counterpoint i'm good (laughs) jonestown part five finishing up the series great research guys unbelievable uh information do not get into this cult mentality people do it all the time and it still happens you got to make sure if you feel like one of your friends is slipping away make sure that you address it and take care of it early on yeah because as soon as they get totally separated from you there's nothing you can do I just did my first yoga class at this, like, ashram. I'm getting into yoga because things fun. I want to get more flexible. I like it. But I've definitely, like, I feel like I've accidentally joined a cult immediately. And I've tr- <laughs> it turns out, I guess that's like a L.A. thing. Is that pretty oh, much yeah. everybody just accidentally joins a cult, like, three or four times. And you go, oh, I'm sorry. This oh, is yeah. cool. <laughs> I, I I'm have to leave. I'm pretty sure that. Um, Check, please. Check, please. I think Froger's a cult. Froger. Is Froger frozen <laughs> yogurt? Froger is, seriously, the cult of Pinkberry? How yeah. many bucks? How many so. bodies will they leave? No, trying to tell us that oh, the future of ice cream is Dippin' Dots. I mean, don't do it, people. Well, Ben, you mentioned uh, research, and you know, I really yes. want. I I had a lot of help on this one. Uh, first, I want to thank research assistant Rachel Sue for tackling Raven. Uh, I want to thank Fielding McGee at the Jonestown Institute for speaking with me and really opening up uh, our eyes uh, to a lot of different perspectives uh, on the last uh, days and mm-hmm. the last year. Uh, and uh, I also want to thank uh, Carolina for spending hours searching through the transcripts of Jonestown meetings uh, to find the excerpts that we played on this episode. And finally, I want to thank you, the listener, for coming along on this very long journey with us. We very much Absolutely. appreciate it. Thank you guys so much. And fuck, thank you for everything. Thank you so, so much. So, were you and Carolina legally married after that? Is that like a thing? <laughs> I is think that a so. Crime legal marriage. If you sit and listen to that. I think after they split their one thousandth pickle together, they are legally married in the eyes of the Polish. <laughs> um, all right, everyone. Thank you so much for your support. Uh, thank you uh, for all the Patreon subscribers. Without you, none of this is possible. 
Um, keep on supporting everyone here. Uh, all the shows here on the LPN network. Abe Lincoln's Top Hat. I want to thank everyone for being so kind. We put that in the feed uh, here for the uh, last podcast on the last podcast feed, and we were a little bit nervous about it because yeah. it's, it's a different show, but it's Marcus and I talking politics, and it's really fun. We've had such a great feedback from it. So thank you all so much, and thanks for supporting Page 7 and all the other great shows here on LPN. We really appreciate it. Yes, as always, honestly. And uh, follow us on all of the various social media bullshits uh, on Twitter at Henry Loves You, at Marcus Parks, at Ben Kissel, on Instagram at Dr. Fantasty, at Marcus Parks, at Ben Kissel, number one. Um, follow LP on the left for all of the horseshit that is to speeding us towards the dystopia. I think we're living, we are living we in, are in a dystopia. It. We yeah. are, we are, we are in it. We officially will be possibly having a military parade. Um, because who doesn't love a parade? Uh, I think we entered it about six months ago. Well, t- well, I, no. I think the moment we uh, got into the top five uh, podcasts of iTunes, that's when the dystopia. Began. Yeah, perhaps, yeah. or maybe it was when maybe it's Amorosa spilling the beans on a reality show. Big Brother, <laughs> who knows? We'll talk about that on Top Hat. What I will <laughs> say is, if I if this is a dystopia. My favorite dystopia character, which I wish it could be, is Michael Caine from Children of Men. Oh. Or I want to be the guy that's got all the water and, like, he lives in a world of, like, of gates, like, in, like, slatted gates. And then I wear, like, a big tub of water on my back and I suck it around being like, things have been bad in the dry land for 27 generations. Like, I want to be that guy. <laughs> Ooh, that's fun. Yeah, if we I want to have a lot of water. <laughs> if, we, if we get all the way to post-apocalyptic, I just want to be three dog. Three dogs. Three dogs. Oh, all right. Want to have all the chili, all the water. Mm. Hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Hail Gein. Hail me. If you have the energy. Is there anybody not sick right now? No. I just want to know. Is there anybody out there who doesn't have a cold? I don't have a cold, but I do have a pinched nerve. Hey, all Give right. Me your installations, everyone. <laughs>